0: Robbie Martin. It's just going to be me again today on Media Roots Radio for part two of my podcast on the push of anti-China propaganda and the ramp up specifically of propaganda in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. So part two of the podcast is going to start ...with a very viral news story that's penetrated into the mainstream social media sphere... ...sort of the mainstream sphere that's no longer just a right-wing media talking point... ...about how the World Health Organization is nefariously being puppeted by China... ...to obfuscate blame away from the United States. There's a new video released by a Hong Kong journalist interviewing a WHO official, and when she starts asking questions about Taiwan, the guy's feed gets cut, like he hangs up the Skype call. And then she calls him back, and he still really won't answer questions about t- Taiwan. And everyone is using this as an, uh, a big, huge piece of evidence that the WHO is just totally beholden to China, that it's really troublesome and that proves that it's all corrupt and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sorry. But when I saw that video, it seemed like a straight up Jamie Kerchick style cold war 2.0 stunt, like with the rainbow suspenders on Russia today. This Hong Kong journalist is trying to bring up a controversial political subject about having to do with China, not recognizing Taiwan. And I just find it fascinating that people are really glomming onto that as some kind of strong evidence that, you know, it's like how the the China owns the NBA and all this shit. It's like, yeah, there are some big Chinese investments and a lot of U.S. companies. But to suggest that China has more sway or anywhere near the amount of sway that the U.S. has on global affairs is hilarious. And that's really what it all comes down to, is it's, again... Trying to take the focus away from the United States and making it seem like China is this big, giant, scary entity that controls the way everyone thinks and are like thought policing everyone. They can force Disney to take out some mention of Tibet because that's how powerful they are. It's like, no, Disney just wants to make money. The Chinese market's important to their like, money making. It's all really simple. But the way that these things are spun in the U.S. media are just so obviously cynical and manipulative You just have to wonder again, how is this all just ramping up? It can't just be these fringe neocons like Gaffney and Steve Bannon and these kinds of people. It also has to be coming from somewhere else. And when you get into this idea that the Epoch Times has 70% of the advertising space on YouTube, you have to wonder if their funding is coming from the U.S. government. The U.S. government still has a lot of money to run disinformation operations They aren't just running their own state-funded media outlets like Radio Free Asia. Now we're going to get into one of my favorite people, who's been largely rebranded in the the Trump era as being an anti-neocon hero, who a lot of people say is, quote, the best anti-war personality on TV, Tucker Carlson. Now, Tucker Carlson has been running a lot of content for the past year that's virulently anti-China long before this pandemic started. But he has a new series that he's been running pretty regularly called The China Threat, with a scary-looking image of a Chinese flag in the background, this big yellow font block text, The China Threat. So on the last podcast, or maybe it was the one before that, when I said that Tucker Carlson's recent The China Threat series is 100% pipelined in neocon think tank propaganda... I wasn't bullshitting at all. All you have to do is look at the Committee on the Present Dangers website, the topics and appearances that this think tank has done, and tell me that it isn't beat for beat what Tucker Carlson has been pushing on his program since this pandemic. Now, let me just give you an example. Here's something from the Committee on Present Dangers website from July 18th, 2019. Addressing our perilous dependence on Chinese manufactured drugs, securing Taiwan's sovereignty and freedom, ending CCP's threats to America and the world, preventing the CCP Hawaii's digital imperialism. And it goes on and on. I mean, you have all these really regular guests at their think tank meetings, like Newt Gingrich, Ted Cruz. You have one in collaboration with some extremely far right Hindu group. Uh, that Steve Bannon actually wears a little marking on his forehead when he speaks at it, like a Hindu marking. It's fucking crazy. What's also interesting is that the committee on present danger has some crossover with what some liberal or lefties like Matt Stoller are talking about right now. They have an article called year of the Ratfink: an expose of a prime mover behind wall street's underwriting of the Chinese communist party. Another post says China and the WHO is chief hold them both accountable for the pandemic. Another article says, Communist China is our enemy, so why are we dependent on it for medicine? I'll just read to you the titles of a lot of Tucker Carlson's recent programming on China. Tucker is pushing this idea that CNN is on China's side. The segment's called, Why does CNN continue to push China's agenda? Another segment is called, Why would America's media take China's side amid coronavirus pandemic? Another segment is, China ratcheting up threats to cut off U.S. drug supply. Another segment, this pandemic came out of China. Another Tucker segment, extortion from China is the real threat. Another segment from a month ago is America is being sold to China. So Tucker's been at this for a really long time. And I strongly believe that he's either getting it from the Trump administration or this think tank, the Committee on the Present Danger China. The crossover is actually unbelievable if you look at the content on this website and the content Tucker's been putting out about China. But Tucker also pushed the Chinese bioweapons theory. On March 12th, Tucker's program ran a segment where it's pretty xenophobic against China, but what's more insidious in it is he actually launders the Bill Gertz neocon theory claiming it came from a now-censored Chinese paper from February 2020, even though the Bill Gertz theory actually came out in January 2020. And Tucker absolutely knows that to be the case. He knows Tom Cotton was going out and saying stuff like that in late January too. So it's interesting that Tucker deliberately sort of tries to distract people with this Chinese, now censored Chinese paper as being the source of it. Not true. But they're not the only people who lie. As
1: death toll rises, it's important to never forget how we got here. This pandemic came out of China and it came out of China for a reason. That's a country with poor health practices. It's a country where government officials deliberately covered up the early stages of the virus when it could have been stopped before it spread out of control. In fact, the outbreak may have begun not in a public meat market, but in a poorly run Chinese laboratory. Now, that's not our theory. Anyone who raises that theory on American television is attacked as a conspiracy monger. But this is a theory from a now censored Chinese paper, a draft paper posted in mid-February. Scientists at the South China University of Technology suggested that the virus outbreak, coronavirus outbreak, began at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control, where an animal may have infected a researcher who then spread the disease outside the facility. The paper is explicit about this. We're going to quote it. The killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, end quote. Now, we have no idea if that's actually true. But again, those were Chinese researchers making an evidence based argument about the origin of this virus. That paper has since been taken down. No explanation has been offered for that, though you can guess.
0: On the same segment of the Tucker Carlson show, he then starts whining and complaining about how some spokesperson for the Chinese government accused the US government of being behind COVID 19.
1: Instead, China, the same country that controls 96% of antibiotics we use in this nation, the same country that is warning to cut off drug exports to the U.S. to kill Americans, is now trying to hide the reality of where coronavirus came from. In fact, they're doing worse than that. The Communist Party of China is trying to blame the virus on America. Li Xin was a spokesman for China's foreign ministry. A week ago, Zhao attacked anyone who dared to link the virus to China. Even when China blamed the United States for a plague they unleashed, even when the Chinese government threatened to murder our citizens by cutting off drugs, our media continued to take their side. Meanwhile, China's ambassador is already spreading the lie that the Wuhan virus originated here in America, maybe created in a lab by the Pentagon.
0: Did you notice that Tucker used the exact same language that Tom Cotton did about China unleashing this plague? Now this is where Tucker goes off on a rant about how he believes that all the other US media outlets are towing the Chinese state media line. So if you disagree with this hard right neoconservative rhetoric about China, seems like to Tucker you are towing the China state media line. Very binary, kind of Russia-gatey style. Point of view, but Tucker's extra upset at the fact that the Chinese government is getting upset about Trump calling it a Chinese virus, and other people calling it a Chinese virus, and there's actually evidence to suggest now that this line about calling it a Chinese virus somehow came into the Trump administration and influenced Trump to start saying it about halfway through this crisis, and then Trump. Trump's White House tried to disseminate this talking point to other officials and pressured them to start saying it. This is from the Daily Beast, March 21st, 2020, by Aaron Banco. It says, as the number of coronavirus cases continues to grow at a rapid pace in the U.S., the White House is launching a communications plan across multiple federal agencies that focuses on accusing Beijing of orchestrating a quote-unquote cover-up and creating a global pandemic, according to two U.S. officials in a government cable outlined by the Daily Beast. The cable, sent to State Department officials Friday, lays out in detail the circumstances on the ground in China, including data on coronavirus cases and deaths, the local business environment and transportation restrictions, but it also issues guidelines for how U.S. officials should answer questions on or speak about the coronavirus and the White House's response in relation to China. The talking points appear to have originated in the National Security Council. Now, I mentioned Fred Fleets earlier, who was actually part of Trump's National Security Council now. He was writing chapters in Frank Gaffney's books about China, released under Frank Gaffney's think tank only three or four years ago. One of the section of the cables reads, NSC Top Lines, People's Republic of China, Propaganda and Disinformation on the Wuhan Virus Pandemic. Two US officials working on the administration's coronavirus response said the White House is pushing federal agencies to stick closely to the National Security Council's talking points, especially when senior officials take the podium, to ensure continuity with President Trump. These talking points are all anyone is really talking about right now, one official said. Everything is about China. We're being told to try and get this messaging out in any way possible, including press conferences and television appearances. Over the last several weeks, Top Trump administration officials, including President Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, have referred to the coronavirus both as the Chinese virus and the Wuhan virus. Here's more of the cable, the National Security Council cable that was uh, given to the Daily Beast. It says, quote, the Chinese Communist Party is waging a propaganda campaign to desperately try to shift responsibility for the global pandemic to the United States. This effort is futile. Thanks to the cover-up, Chinese and international experts missed a critical window to contain the outbreak within China and stop its global spread. Saving lives is more important than saving face. The Daily Beast article says, but the administration isn't just focused on criticizing China. It's also painting America's response to the global pandemic as, quote, extraordinary humanitarianism. What the hell? Okay, so it ends with this hilarious quote. This is more from the cable. The United States and the American people are demonstrating once again that they are the greatest humanitarians the world has ever known, according to the cable. The United States stands ready to provide more assistance to China if the Chinese Communist Party would allow us to do so. Wow, that sounds like really old school propaganda. Really old school. Like stuff from like the 1950s. So that might have seemed like an unnecessary detour before I play more Tucker Carlson clips. But it was important because what Tucker is pushing and what a lot of the other right-wing media are, are pushing, pushing back on this idea that calling it a Chinese virus is wrong now, is they're sort of creating this straw man argument or they're just creating this constructed framework that it's not racist to call it a China virus or a Chinese virus and that we should keep calling it that. But Tucker is smart enough to know that this is a geopolitical leveraging tool to exploit people's fears during a crisis. This was disseminated by Trump's National Security Council out to other officials, probably down to the House members, senators. um, And we already know that Tucker Carlson literally has dinner with Donald Trump and talks to him on the phone regularly. In fact, Tucker's getting all this credit right now for being the one to convince Trump that coronavirus was serious when he flew to Kimberly Guilfoyle's birthday party at Mar-a-Lago and uh, met privately with Trump then. Now, I guess in trade for that, Tucker, again, once again, saving the world, you know, saving America by getting Trump to take this seriously. So so the trade-off for that was that Tucker Carlson has actually used the term Wuhan virus or Chinese virus more times by far than anybody else on Fox News. And I don't care for Media Matters as an institution, but they actually did a little study of all the people on Fox News who were using the term Wuhan virus, and Chinese virus, and I'll just break it down for you. Tucker Carlson used the term 42 times, 43 times. Mark Levin, 12 times. Sean Hannity, 10 times. Dan Bogino, 9 times. Carl Rove six times, Jesse Waters six times, Laura Ingram five times, Stephen Mosher five times. Stephen Mosher, of course, is part of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. So here's Tucker going on and on about why he thinks we should keep calling it the Chinese virus or Wuhan virus.
1: Many of them are already parroting the rest of the Chinese Communist Party line. The Chinese government knows that identity politics is the greatest weakness in the American system. It always is the greatest weakness in every country it infects. And that's why they don't allow identity politics in China. The Chinese know that any debate in this country can be derailed instantly if someone screams racist, as someone inevitably does. So the Chinese have decided to use wokeness against us. The most racist power on Earth. This is the country that puts Muslims in concentration camps. The country that stamps out Tibetan culture the country that would not accept a single Somali refugee at gunpoint, this country is calling us bigoted. It's hilarious in a way. What's amazing is how many in our media take it very seriously. Today, Xinhua News, that's one of China's propaganda organs, tweeted this, quote, racism is not the right tool to cover your own incompetence. Okay. Today, NBC News sent a tweet suggesting the president's use of the phrase Chinese virus was, quote, both inaccurate and harmful in tying racist associations between the virus and those from China. Another statement written by morons in our news media. How is it inaccurate to call a virus from China Chinese? The president, to his credit, does not seem intimidated.
2: China and others have criticized you for using the phrase uh, Chinese virus. Uh, How do you feel about that? Are you going to continue using that phrase?
3: Well, China
4: uh, was putting out information which was false that our military gave this to them. That was false. And uh, rather than having an argument, I said, uh, I have to call it where it came from. It did come from China.
0: Critics, they using that phrase, creates a stigma. Um,
4: No, I don't think so. No, I think saying that our military gave it to them creates a stigma.
0: Good for him. That was Trump at his very best. You did such a good job, son. That was your very best. God, it's really bootlickery yeah just it's just disgusting to hear tucker talk like that and here's just a sampling of just how vitriolic tucker's anti-china propaganda has been it starts with a lot of cold war 2.0 style stuff but just about china and then it sort of evolves into a strange almost i would describe as fascistic and i normally don't wouldn't call tucker a fascist but the way he's even just talking about the press, it's just really bizarre. Take a listen. More broadly, we'll need
1: to start treating China like the dangerous Cold War level adversary it has clearly become. Don't let them lie to you. This crisis began in China, and that's significant. Whether the coronavirus escaped from a bioresearch lab, as independent Chinese scientists have claimed, or arose in a filthy street market selling wild animals for food, either way, China's third world health practices played a central role in this disaster. The virus grew to a pandemic because Chinese officials silenced health authorities in that country who tried to warn the public about it. Even now, the Chinese government is determined to crush any unsanctioned reporting from the country. Today, Beijing announced it's revoking the press credentials for reporters from the biggest American newspapers. They don't want us to see what they're doing there. And at the same time, they're threatening us. One state-backed media outlet explained that China may cut off her supply of pharmaceuticals. That would kill Americans. China is an imminent threat to the United States. One of the few upsides of this pandemic is we can now see that clearly, because it is clear. But some of us can't see it. Amazingly, our ruling class is taking China's side. And that, again, is the good news about a crisis. It clarifies things. You can see exactly what side people
0: are on. Tucker's not wrong about that concept, because right now we're being able to clarify that Tucker appears to be on the neocon side, pushing anti-Chinese neocon propaganda from think tanks and from directives from the Trump administration. And also what he's about to say next kind of clarifies a little bit more for me personally that Tucker Carlson is actually, in some ways, potentially a fascist. Why would
1: our media take the side of China in a crisis like this? Some of them seem to genuinely despise America, particularly in academia, which is why they race to call this country evil while happily placating Beijing. That's what Hollywood does every day of the year. Someday these people may be punished for what they've done. Again, it's a crime. At minimum, they'll have to be deprived of power or influence going forward. But for now, we don't have time for that.
0: Ooh, ominous. Tucker's also had, you know, besides Tom Cotton, Um, Besides some of these other people from the Committee on the Present Danger China, like Gordon Chang, Tucker Carlson's also had on Marco Rubio a bunch to talk about how China is a threat to us. Here's a little tweet by Marco Rubio that he deleted from earlier today. It says, The U.S. intelligence response to coronavirus hasn't been perfect but this pandemic spread faster and reached more places sooner because the Communist Party of China has and continues to cover up important information. It's not the Chinese people's fault. It's the government. For some reason, he deleted that tweet. He posted that literally three hours ago. But Marco Rubio's also been on this anti-China beat for a while. Especially this idea that China is stealing our technology and needs to be stopped in the global marketplace.
1: China has risen rapidly to become the chief economic and political rival of the United States. No one in Washington recognizes that, but it's clearly true. But China is not content to be the equal of this country. China wants to be our superior. Its communist government is pursuing an initiative called Made in China 2025, It seeks to make China the dominant player in 10 advanced industries, including robotics, artificial intelligence, and aerospace. And they're getting a major assist from the United States, where many in our ruling class view outsourcing as a boon to corporate profits. What can be done to stop this? We spoke recently to Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, about it. And here's what he said. Senator Rubio, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you, thank you. So you have said crystally, in very clear language, China is growing at the expense of America. What does that mean?
5: It means
3: they're trying to take over all the industries that are going to dominate the 21st century, and they're not at, out innovating us to do it, uh, they're uh, cheating, I mean they're stealing our secrets, they're forcing our companies to transfer technology, they're funding their companies so their companies can go out and bid against ours, undercut us, because they don't have to make a profit, the Chinese government is backing them, and then when they do it enough places, they put us out of business, and then they control that industry.
0: Here's another interesting character that's made regular appearances on Tucker Carlson's show. His name is Gordon Chang, and he was originally part of Frank Gaffney's Center for Security Policy think tank, and now he's a member of the Committee on Present Danger China. Gordon Chang also has an essay published in the book I was mentioning earlier called Warning Order, China Prepares for Conflict and Why We Must Do the Same. Now, I also need to mention really quickly Fred Fleet's who is also someone who authored an essay in this same book. Fred Fleets' essay is called Espionage and Cyber, China Steps Up a Covert War. Fred Fleets has actually been in the office of the National Security Council Chief of Staff since 2018, directly advising President Trump. So you're starting to see the crossover here. Gordon Chang is one of these weird, Washington guys who's a China expert who all he does is appears on all these shows to talk shit about China. And since he's Chinese American, he has, I guess, more credibility, even though he's a total think tank shill wonk, like vessel for anti-China propaganda. Here's a clip from his appearance on Tucker Carlson. It's, It's beyond disgusting. It's scary.
1: Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China, and he joins us tonight. Gordon, you've been on this topic for such a long time. Um, Does it surprise you that the World Health Organization, which normal people, me, look at and think, you know, they're keeping the world safe from pandemics, that they're actually acting as a spokesman for the government of China? Does that surprise you?
3: Well, this has been going on for some time, Tucker, and, and there have been a number of other things that we've got to be concerned about. So it's not just Bruce Alward, who, by the way, said that he had absolutely no reason to question China's numbers.
1: I, I mean, this really matters. This isn't like NBA players kowtowing to the Chinese government. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is the World Health Organization.
3: Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. This is dangerous because for the last 10 days of January, and um, so what the WHO has done was it actually helped spread the coronavirus around the world, and it did it on behalf of Beijing.
1: It's just, it's just beyond belief. It's hard to believe those words are true, but they are true. Gordon Cheng, thank you for that. Thank you, Tucker.
0: So this narrative that the WHO is completely beholden to China And that any praise that they give to China, that anybody gives to China, must be because they're being controlled by China or because they're just echoing the state media line. That's what Gordon Chang really likes to push. And then lastly, here's just a few clips of Gordon Chang talking about China since the coronavirus, just to give you a taste of what kind of rhetoric he's also putting out. Starting with an official video from the Committee on the Present Danger China, Introducing Chang by Frank Gaffney.
6: Next, we're going to hear from Gordon Chang, uh, one of the country's preeminent experts on China. And Gordon is the author, among other books, of the coming collapse of China. He's thought long and hard about the policy of engagement that has been pursued by successive U.S. governments and businesses and Uh, the financial markets uh, for decades now, Um, he too has been sounding, I think, uh, the clarion warnings about these policies of engagement and the real dangers that are associated with them. Gordon, I appreciate so much you joining us to talk a bit about how you see what has happened to date with the coronavirus, uh, the, the sorts of involvement of the Chinese Communist Party that uh, Sean talked about and the kinds of implications for our public health as well as national security that this sort of microcosm of the supply chain dependencies that Rosemary has discussed so clearly in connection with this uh, medicine situation, um, where we are now in short, and uh, where we need to go from here, as you see it, with respect to the policy of engagement uh, specifically and our relationship with the Chinese Communist Party more generally. Welcome.
3: Well, thank you, Frank, and and thank you to the committee for including me. In recent weeks, um, the Communist Party of China has revealed much about itself. Now, you know, in a sense, maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that China's trying to collapse the American economy, but this is a China that wants to take over the world, and to take over the world, the last thing it should be doing is attacking us. We heard the Chinese people start to adopt, as their anthem, uh, the song, Do You Hear the People Sing? That's that politically impactful song from Les Miserables. It is the song that the people in Hong Kong adopted um, as a method, as a means of protesting China. So we can see that the Communist Party right now is at one of those junctures where it has lost support. So what is it trying to do to regain support? Well, unfortunately, it's lashing out at the U.S., but it really came to a crescendo on Thursday. Because on Thursday, you had a foreign ministry spokesman call out U.S. officials as, quote unquote, immoral. And just before that, that foreign ministry spokesman, as Sean said, said that patient zero was an American in America, and said that it looked like the virus, the coronavirus was spread to Wuhan by the U.S. Army. And the way this was put, it was intimating germ warfare. Uh, At the same time, uh, we saw another foreign ministry spokeswoman and all of this shows that uh, China is doing a couple of things. Um, We can sort of, as Americans, we sort of ignore Chinese propaganda, especially when it's ludicrous. But we got to remember that the Communist Party here is um, preparing and justifying, in its own minds of the senior leaders, um, the right to use force against the United States. And it's also trying to prepare the Chinese people for the use of such force. So I, you know this is exceedingly dangerous. Well, what do you make of China's claims? You think they've stabilized it, Gordon? Yeah, we don't really know, Larry, because there's now extraordinary information control. And the infection statistics, death statistics that are coming out of Beijing actually support Chinese ruler Xi Jinping's policy of getting Chinese workers back to their job sites. So it's sort of suspicious. But you know, as I said, um, because of what Beijing's been doing, especially putting journalists in jail and all the rest of it, we absolutely do not have um, very much of an idea.
5: Joining me now for more analysis is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and an Expert in Asia Policy. Gordon, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Owen. Mr. Chang, is the relationship, get right to it here, is the relationship between the U.S. and China doomed? And I'm not overstating that. I mean, this is a massive tragedy on a scale unknown before. Uh, What is your opinion on that?
3: I wouldn't say doomed, but I do say that it is destined to get worse or at least less friendly. And the reason is Beijing needs someone to blame right now. Um, It is very concerned about what the Chinese people think about uh, the Communist Party mishandling uh, the coronavirus response. And so they blame the United States. And they've been doing this not just recently, but going back to the end of January when President Trump imposed the travel restrictions and quarantines. We've seen a concerted campaign against Washington since the end of the first week of February And that culminated on March 12th with that charge from a foreign ministry spokesman that the U.S. Army spread the um, virus to Wuhan, um, almost intimating germ warfare.
5: Is there propaganda winning right now? The Chinese propaganda?
3: Um, It depends. Um, In the United States, I don't think that it is, um, but around the world, it is resonating in certain places. Um, Beijing's campaign has been relentless. And there is a reservoir of anti-Americanism around the world. And, and also some countries um, you know, like Chinese money and so they'll accept whatever Beijing says. So we've got to be concerned that this message from Beijing, although it is disinformation, although it's grossly irresponsible, demonstrably false, nonetheless has adherence.
5: So that aside, all right, China's claiming tonight there are no new cases of the disease in Wuhan and all new cases are coming from visitors. So what's to believe anymore? I'm an American at home watching TV, and I'm thinking, who am I to believe here?
3: Yeah, well, certainly China's claims are not credible.
5: You think this is something that could end communism in China as we know it?
3: It's possible, um, just as Chernobyl uh, was a factor in in undermining Soviet control. Um, This is possible. Um, We don't know when it might happen. Mm -hmm. I thought it would happen earlier than now. But the point is, a lot of people in China are demanding fundamental political reform, and you do have the elements in place for regime failure.
0: I'm going to read some tweets from Gordon Chang here. From March 12th, Gordon is complaining that, he says, China's foreign ministry has for months waged a relentless campaign against the U.S. Relentless. And now it has essentially charged the U.S. Army with biological warfare. We Americans have to prepare for what Beijing will do next. Okay. Well, Senator Tom Cotton and others, months before that, had already accused China of doing that. And look, on March 26, Gordon is uh, accusing China of possibly doing biological warfare. He says on Twitter, 1500 different strains of viruses kept in the Wuhan lab? No. Now... 1,499, China, coronavirus, China virus, COVID-19. All hashtags. Another tweet from the same day says, If China wants cooperation at the G20 virtual summit, it can start by allowing foreign virologists into Wuhan to study COVID-19. Ooh, more weapons inspection style neocon talk there. Clever. Another tweet from March 30th. Gordon Chang says, should America remain a party to the Biological Weapons Convention if we have no right to inspect the P4 lab in Wuhan? The simple answer is no. Hashtag coronavirus. Hashtag COVID-19. Hashtag China. Another tweet from the same evening is even funnier. Is He realizes that some of his tweets maybe were a bit inflammatory sounding, that he was pushing the China bioweapons theory. So he makes sure to tweet this last I don't believe, as some allege, that China deliberately released hashtag COVID-19, but the resulting havoc shows that biological weapons, despite what we have been told, can actually work. And I am sure this lesson has not been lost on Xi Jinping. Okay? So that's an introduction to who Gordon Chang is. And now I'm going to introduce you to, well, not introduce you to, I've already told you a lot about who James Woolsey is, but I'm going to Tell you a little bit about how James Woolsey has been one of these players, PNAC neocons, another PNAC neocon besides Frank Gaffney and William Bennett, who sits on the committee for the present danger China think tank. Let me play you some clips of James Woolsey. Talking about China in the last few years
7: with the US getting hit by seemingly daily cyber attacks. What should the president now do and do we risk? Should we risk blowing up our very tentative relationship with Beijing? Let us bring in former CIA director and now current chairman of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Ambassador James Woolsey. Ambassador Xi Jinping, the president of China, is supposed to come here next week how tense should these discussions be and what should the president say to him
8: this may not be a commonly held view but my view is that we ought to be make ourselves capable of using NSA or any of our other national assets of which it's the biggest in a very offensive way we ought to be capable of retaliating in one way or another Mm -hmm. against uh, uh, China but we shouldn't say a word about it um, there it's, we, we should not only uh, speak softly, as Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt said, and carry a big stick. Um, if we use a big stick, we should speak not at all. There's no value at all in alerting uh, another side to what you're doing to defend yourself uh, uh, or to uh, cause trouble for them. And uh, the, that's not uh, in uh, uh, consonance with the Obama administration's focus on the narrative and, uh, and public relations and so on. But this is an area where we shouldn't talk at all about uh, what we're doing. We should just make life as miserable as we possibly can for the Chinese hackers and in time others.
0: And here's a clip from only about a year ago of Frank Gaffney introducing James Woolsey at a committee for the present danger China Public event.
6: Next up, a man I think all of us know from his distinguished service to the United States, well, in a number of different capacities, but particularly uh, memorable was his uh, time as the director of central intelligence. Jim Woolsey has uh, volunteered to talk about a particular problem we are now confronting from China in terms of its business operations and uh, technology activities. Jim Woolsey. Please join us to talk about 5G.
8: Wish uh, we had only one uh, major undertaking to deal with that uh, we face from China. Um, I'm afraid we have at least three. And uh, at least two of the three meet Sun Tzu's. Uh, uh, optimal description of warfare in which you win without having to fight. Now one that we might lose, and the previous speaker uh, did an excellent job of laying this out so I won't repeat it, one that we might lose by fighting if we are insufficiently prepared and insufficiently trained and insufficient amount of reserve capability and all the rest. Uh, That is a serious problem and we need to deal with it and make sure that that we could win. Now, this next time around, if it should occur, it won't be as straightforward and as quick as, say, the Gulf War was in 1990. Uh, it will, we will have certain disadvantages, and they've been outlined here, and we need to deal with those. But there are two others that we need to pay attention to, and those are both extremely serious. One is that it is not necessary for a country to attack using a nuclear weapon by launching and targeting and re-entering and hitting a particular target with a nuclear weapon or any other kind of weapon. It is perfectly easy, and indeed the Russians did this in 1957, to launch a satellite. And if you put it in a polar orbit, that crosses a single place in the United States, let's say Omaha, a couple of times a day, and it has a nuclear weapon in it, even a very simple Hiroshima-style style nuclear weapon, nothing with enhanced capabilities of any kind, and that is detonated tens to hundreds of miles above the surface of the Earth. The long and short wavelengths, the of of emanations that can come from that can both destroy our electric grid and each of our electronic devices that we all live with. It does not need to be accurate. It does not need range. It does not need any of the things that the press and many experts say it needs. It needs only to get into orbit, a problem Russia solved in 1957. Second, area that we have to deal with that we are almost completely unprepared to deal with is 5G. We have to be able to turn away Chinese domination of our internet and our overall capabilities, our servers and everything else. And every purchase of Huawei materials, Everything that is being done by people who have blinders on with respect to what the Chinese are going to be able to do if we don't stop them, everyone who has blinders on better take them off.
0: And if you remember this weird little story, that even though James Woolsey didn't have an official position in the Trump administration, he seemed to somehow be involved in the trade deals slash trade war with China developing that policy so he had to actually come out with a statement saying that he doesn't represent trump on china policy he represents private interests now if you remember james wolsey one of his pipe dreams one of his neocon fantasies from two decades ago was the idea of a global pandemic specifically starting in the united states a terrorist release of a biological weapon that would create a global pandemic. And these fantasies of his culminated with Operation Dark Winter. It was a neoconservative pipe dream fantasy, or rather a nightmare. And parts of it actually ended up coming true directly after the 9-11 attacks. And other parts of it, disturbingly, seem to be coming true now, 20 years later, during this COVID-19 outbreak. It was put on by the John Hopkins Center for civilian biodefense strategies and center for strategic and international studies it had CDC involvement. It was staged on an air force base, Andrews air force base. It was an exercise involving a make believe pandemic event, a quick spreading virus starting in Oklahoma city that eventually causes mass civil unrest, the entire healthcare system to be clogged with patients, hundreds of thousands of casualties Quarantine zones, martial law checkpoints, government shutdowns, and shutdowns of websites spreading quote-unquote disinformation. It wasn't a coronavirus strain like COVID-19 originating from China, though. In Operation Dark Winter, the virus was the long-eradicated smallpox. And in the exercise, an unknown terrorist group had obtained a lethal smallpox strain and intentionally released it into the United States to cause mass chaos. From these neocons' point of view, people like James Woolsey, this was a likely situation that they genuinely believed it was a matter of time before some nefarious terrorist group would unleash a bioterror pandemic. Former CIA director and PNAC member James Woolsey, bioterror expert Kroll Associates and SIAC president Jerome Hauer and journalist Judith Miller all participated in this drill it included a series of fake scripted and film newscasts. In one segment, the reporter says that the smallpox could have been made by Iraq and delivered to terrorists in Afghanistan. An eerily similar situation to some of the neocon propaganda about Iraq and the anthrax attacks that would follow in real life only four months later. The coincidences merging with real life get even stranger when one of the very last events of Operation Dark Winter as a threat made via letter from the mysterious terrorist group promising that more attacks are coming and that they have anthrax in operation dark winter it speculates that china could have been behind the introduction of foot and mouth disease in taiwan and that china is one of the main countries opposing u.s military adventurism in the middle east iraq specifically And during the Operation Dark Winter exercise, this was also one of the imaginary events, is that the U.S. was already gearing up for war in the Middle East, and that China opposed it in this imaginary scenario. A lot of the comments during this exercise, Operation Dark Winter, about the spread of smallpox are very eerily similar to what's happening now with the COVID-19 outbreak. They talk about no rapid testing, no real treatment, and being highly contagious clogging up our hospital systems, not having enough hospital beds, people not being able to get food. And this actually led to a real Bush era program that real legislation was passed for. It was the smallpox vaccination program that the Bush administration wanted to make mandatory for the general public. So the same neoconservatives that were behind Operation Dark Winter and their bioterrorism colleagues They got their wish only three weeks after 9-11 in the form of a weaponized anthrax attack, then ended up killing five Americans and infecting dozens. There were only about 17 recorded hospitalizations, but a lot more people tested positive for anthrax and uh, had to go to the hospital in general. They maybe didn't stay overnight, but the number is a lot higher than 17. It's somewhere probably from 30 to 40 people. This event impacted the fear still felt from the 9-11 attacks and introduced Americans to the scary and new reality of bioterrorism, and that terrorist attacks would continue. This wasn't the end of the Bush administration's scaremongering about bioterrorism leading up to the Iraq war. In mid-2002, George W. Bush announced in a speech that he was launching a pilot program for mandatory smallpox vaccinations, starting with government employees and enlisted military, but would eventually be meant for the entire public. Why on earth would George W. Bush be pulling something out of left field like a smallpox vaccine so close to the pitch for the Iraq war? Well, according to former press secretary Scott McClellan, he believed it was a cynical ploy by the Bush administration to drive the fear levels up even more after the anthrax attacks, to scare people about the possibility of a global pandemic in order to sell the Iraq war. It also had something to do with Bush officials like Jerome Hauer, who had worked on Dark Winter, and Scooter Libby, who had shown Dark Winter exercises to Cheney on videotape, that they were able to convince Bush and others in the Pentagon that the next terrorist attack after anthrax would be a bioterror pandemic using a previously eradicated disease like smallpox. Although the details are vague, somehow this became a heavily gamed out scenario within the Bush administration the later leaked but heavily redacted national intelligence estimate reports inside the White House that were cherry-picked to use as Iraq war propaganda had a lot of scaremongering in it about a potential smallpox attack. George W. Bush did a speech announcing that he had been vaccinated from smallpox as a result of these briefings, and eventually over 50,000 government employees got the vaccination as well. The public campaign for mandatory smallpox vaccination fizzled out over time likely due to the loss of political cash from the Iraq war's failures, but actual legislation was still put on the books in regards to a potential smallpox pandemic. This legislation was called the Project BioShield Act of 2004, which was signed into law by President Bush. Part of his speech when he signed BioShield into law is as follows. Project BioShield will transform our ability to defend the nation in three essential ways. First, Project BioShield authorizes $5.6 billion over 10 years for the government to purchase and stockpile vaccines and drugs to fight anthrax, smallpox, and other potential agents of bioterror. Under Project BioShield, HHS is moving forward with plans to acquire a safer, second-generation smallpox vaccine. Bush brags also that Project Bioshield is part of a broader strategy to defend Americans against the threat of weapons of mass destruction. Part of Bioshield is securing enough smallpox vaccine for every American. There's actually still a section on the CDC's official website on smallpox bioterror. It has a section for the threat of it, preparedness, detection and response, Now, I know it's taken me an awfully long time to get to this actual think tank, the Committee for the Present Danger China, but I needed to lay all this groundwork first and explain to you who some of these players were, who Gordon Chang was, who Frank Gaffney is. I mean, Frank Gaffney is basically in charge of this think tank. Until now, he was largely seen as some very fringe, even fringe for other neocons, crazy anti-Islam, you know, bigot, who somehow inspired the Trump administration to do the Muslim man. So just so you know, I'm not throwing around the term frivolously, for if you don't know who Frank Gaffney actually is, this PNAC neocon, and now vice chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. Here's a little collection of books that I own of Frank Gaffney's, again, that I bought on the used market. One of them is called Sharia, the Threat to America, from 2016. Another one is The Muslim Brotherhood and the Obama Administration. Another book of his from 2016 is Sino-Sharia, Countering Violent Extremism and the Disarming of America's First Line of Defense, Civilization Jihad Reader Series. He also has a book called Guilty Knowledge, What the U.S. Government Knows About the Vulnerability of the Electric Grid. Sounds kind of James Woolsey EMP bomb-ish, doesn't it? And he's been on the anti-China beat for a really long time. It seems like it's actually one of his main things now. But let me just play you some clips from Frank Gaffney about the COVID-19 outbreak, but just about China in general. So here's a little sampling of how much time he spent pushing these anti-China talking points for the last several years
5: how how monolithic is this i mean how how much how pervasive is what xi does in the politburo and the chinese communist party does in terms of driving the things that you were uh, describing
6: well i think that what they have done for decades since they came to power is operate a totalitarian system yeah that is brutally repressive and it's ebbed and flowed in terms of the horrors that it's inflicted upon its people. Some estimates are that Mao Zedong killed 100 million of them to exercise absolute control and begin building his China dream, if you will. And by the way, Xi Jinping is a Maoist. He envisions going back to the glory days of Mao Zedong.
1: Mm -hmm.
6: But what's particularly alarming, Bill, is what the chinese have been doing to introduce instruments that will enable the totalitarian control of yesteryear seem like you know child's play this is beyond orwell the so-called social credit score system that the chinese have developed mm-hmm. using techniques like surveillance cameras all over the country, monitoring everybody's movement, tied into facial and actual gait recognition mm-hmm. software, and data mining, and quantum computing, and artificial intelligence are creating a big brother like system on steroids that I think means that tiny number of people, whether it's the 90 million, or the nine, or the one,
3: mm-hmm.
6: actually have the capacity to dominate the vast, unwashed millions of Chinese. And by the way, to the extent they're able to export this technology, facilitate that company's store operation. Well, Trump's a big change agent on many fronts. If we had President Hillary Clinton, where would we be with China right now? They'd be winning, absolutely. There'd be no recognition of these issues. Look, think how her husband conducted himself with respect to the Chinese, and you'd have some sense of it. He sold out the country, including selling strategic technologies that are now being used to threaten us, MIRV missiles, we, we for need, example. We, I need details. What, what did you do to sell? <laughs> Loral and other defense contractors were given the green light to transfer strategic ballistic missile-relevant technologies, including the capability to improve their ballistic missiles, hmm. accuracy, and lethality by, among other things, having multiple independently targetable reentry vehicles, MIRV weapons as they're called, that are now, literally, Bill, being pointed at American cities and other targets. And that's, well, treason, I would argue.
9: And joining us now is Frank Gaffney, national security expert and executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy. Frank, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Your thoughts on China and how it is handling this whole crisis?
6: It's gone from bad to worse, I think. What we're seeing is China is engaged in a massive disinformation operation. Uh, It is dissembling, I think, about both the magnitude of the affliction on its own people and the uh, threat that it represents to the rest of us. This is something that has been going on now since uh, the beginning of December And just as one particularly stunning insight into the problem, the Chinese government, as I'm sure you know, withheld information about this virus outbreak from its own people for about 30 critical days. And during that time, they not only allowed millions of them to move around the country, disseminating it, but they even permitted a potluck dinner for 130,000 people to take place in Wuhan, the absolute center of this outbreak. It's just incredible, irresponsible. And I think it has compounded the danger that the virus poses to uh, not only its own people, but to us as well.
0: Now, the Committee for the Present Danger China got a little bit of coverage, negative coverage in Mother Jones magazine. And the New York Times actually wrote a pretty decent article about it on July 20th, 2019. The article is actually called, A New Red Scare is Reshaping Washington. And I'm going to read a little bit from the article. And in this article, they basically characterize this think tank as being a mixture of ex-military officials and intelligence people, Falun Gong practitioners and cultists, and new right Trump loyalist people like Steve Bannon. And they essentially talk about how this new think tank wants to approach China like the United States approached Russia in the Cold War, in the original Cold War. It also talks about how this think tank has only reconvened or has convened only four other times in history. And it's actually been around since the 1950s, although it wasn't originally called the Committee for the Present Danger China. It was just called the Committee on the Present Danger. The Washington Free Beacon, a neoconservative outlet, was really excited when the Committee for the Present Danger China launched. Their headline says National Security Group reestablished with focus on China threat. Earlier, a Committee on the Present Danger helped Reagan defeat the Soviet Union. Well, didn't just help Reagan defeat the Soviet Union. Apparently, something like 30 members went into the Reagan administration directly from this think tank, which is pretty insane. Washington Free Beacon's article continues. The panel includes a blue ribbon roster of 43 experts, including former CIA Director James Woolsey, former Education Secretary William Bennett, former Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, Lieutenant General Gerald Boykin, and former Representative Frank Wolf. Other notable figures include University of Pennsylvania China Specialist Arthur Waldron, Strategic Missile Defense Expert Henry Cooper, Chinese Christian Activist Bob Fu, Former Voice of America China broadcaster Sasha Gong and retired Navy Captain James Fennell, former intelligence director for the Pacific Fleet. It also includes Gordon Chang. It also includes Frank Gaffney, which they don't mention there. One of the first actions by the committee was to issue a warning on the anticipated U.S.-China trade deal that is said to be close to being completed. The trade deal the Trump administration is now negotiating with China is expected to address its communist party's long-standing practice of stealing American intellectual property, the lifeblood of our information-based economy, and a key component of our national security, the statement said. It remains to be seen whether any new commitments from the Chinese to end this practice will be honored since past ones have not. Frank Gaffney, vice chairman of the committee said, even if a trade deal is reached and China honors its commitments, we are still facing a world of hurt at their hands. We must address these other dimensions of the problem that ultimately emanate from the character of the communist regime, mainly that it is ruled brutally in a totalitarian fashion by the Chinese Communist Party, Gaffney said. The threat includes a large-scale military buildup, active information and political warfare that targets the American people, business, political, and media elites, and Beijing's aggressive, cyber, and economic warfare. Woolsey, former CIA director in the administration of Bill Clinton, said China is seeking to defeat the United States according to the dictums of the ancient Chinese strategist Sun Tzu, without having to engage in a major conflict. We have to be able to turn away Chinese domination of our Internet, Woolsey said, noting efforts by Chinese Hawaii Technologies and other firms to control the emerging 5G telecommunications technology. Boykin, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence in the George W. Bush administration, said the Chinese intelligence threat has increased rapidly and through cyber attacks stolen or reverse engineered large amounts of advanced American technology. The Chinese strategy against the United States was outlined in a 1990... This is where it gets interesting, because I actually had someone from the conspiracy movement mention this same book that the neocons are dropping hints about now. The Chinese strategy against the United States was outlined in a 1999 book by two People's Liberation Army colonels called Unrestricted Warfare. The book called for using all forms of warfare, military, diplomatic, economic, financial, and even terrorism, To Win Wars. The book, quote, laid out the absolute roadmap for how they intended to take over America, and they are in the process of doing everything they said they wanted to, treaties, Boykin said. That's fascinating because it's almost like the neocons realize how viral PNAC's rebuilding America's defenses has gone throughout the world, probably, and that even people in Asia probably know about that shit and how spooky that is and how bizarre it is that the neocons got their wish immediately after they asked for New Pearl Harbor. So now the neocons are having to gaslight in Washington Free Beacon and act like the Chinese government had this scary book in 1999 written by two army colonels called Unrestricted Warfare. They're laying out all their plans. It's like, that's fucking bullshit, dude. You guys know that you guys write some of the craziest shit ever. That calls for the most insane shit you've ever seen, including race-specific bioweapons, which is called for in PNAx Rebuilding America's Defenses, and talks about how it could be used as a politically useful tool. So actually, the Wikipedia article on the Committee for the Present Danger is quite good. It's actually one of the better articles that I've seen on Wikipedia. From Wikipedia, it says, The Committee on the Present Danger first met in 1950 founded by Tracy Voorhees to promote the plans proposed in NSC 68 by Paul Nietzsche and Dean Acheson. It lobbied the government directly and sought to influence public opinion through a publicity campaign, notably a weekly radio broadcast on the mutual broadcasting system throughout 1951. This iteration of the CPD was disbanded in 1953 when its leaders were offered positions in the presidential administration of Dwight D. Eisenhower. On December 12, 1950, James Conant, Tracy Voorhees, and Van Ever Bush announced the creation of the Committee on the Present Danger. The group was formed in order to support the Truman administration's remilitarization plans contained within NSC-68. The present danger, to which the group's title referred to, was, quote, the aggressive designs of the Soviet Union. It was privately revived in March 1976 to try to influence the presidential candidates and their advisors After Jimmy Carter won the election, CPD went public again and spent the next four years lobbying, particularly against detente and the SALT II agreement. Its hawkish conclusions influenced the CIA's future reporting on the Soviet threat, but ultimately proved to have provided a highly inaccurate worst-case scenario. This iteration of the CPD provided 33 officials to the Reagan administration. Now, this committee directly played into the Team A and Team B national security threat assessment of the Soviet Union within the CIA that people like Rumseld and Paul Wolfowitz were involved in. Now, it actually says in here that some of its members lobbied for and were members of the 1976 Team B, providing an opposing view to the CIA's Team A. Just as an example... Richard Pearl was one of these people. So, CPD provided 33 officials inside the Reagan administration, including William Casey, director of the CIA, National Security Advisor Richard Van Allen, United States Ambassador to the United Nations Gene Kirkpatrick, Secretary of the Navy John Lemon, Secretary of State George Shultz, and Assistant Secretary of Defense Richard Pearl. Reagan himself was a member in 1979, it says on Wikipedia. It says in June 2004, the CPD, the Committee on the Present Danger, joined its forces together again to lobby different people and different agencies. I guess during the War on Terror era, members of the 2004 CPD include Larry Haas, Senator Joseph Lieberman, James Woolsey, Robert McFarlane, Max Kemplerman, Senator John Kyle, Larry Milroy. Norman Podhortz, Frank Gaffney, and other associates of the American Enterprise Institute, the Heritage Foundation, APAC, and the Boeing Company. Oh, wow. Interesting. Very interesting, right? Now, I'm going to get into the Committee on the Present Danger's newest iteration, the Committee on the Present Danger, China, which started about a year ago exactly. On July 18th, when they launched, or around the time that they launched, a little bit afterwards, the Committee on the Present Danger China was involved in writing a very PNAC-style letter to President Trump that says, Stay the course on China, an open letter to President Trump. Dear Mr. Trump, over America's exceptional history, successive generations have risen to the challenge of protecting and furthering our founding principles. Today, our generation is challenged to do the same by a virulent and increasingly dangerous threat to human freedoms, The Chinese Communist Party, through the nation, it misrules the People's Republic of China. This cannot be permitted to continue. The PRC is not and never has been a peaceful regime. It uses economic and military force, what it calls comprehensive national power, to bully and intimidate others. We firmly support the Chinese people, the vast majority of whom want to live peaceful lives. But we do not support the communist government of China, nor its control by the dangerous Xi Jinping clique. If there is any sure guide to diplomatic success, it is that when America leads, other nations follow. Stay the course. Author of the letter is James Fennell, retired captain of the U.S. Navy, former director of intelligence and information operations for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, who also sits on the board for the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Here's James Fennell appearing on a program called Zooming In with Simon Gao. The program is titled U.S. and China will likely go to war in the next 30 years. You know, in the U.S. uh, 7th
10: Fleet, there's roughly about 27, 25, 27 destroyers operational in the Western Pacific, U.S. Navy.
9: The same quality?
10: And their quality is higher.
9: So I just want to be clear on this. Even if the U.S. is full will to protect Taiwan, the US might not have the military might to do so.
10: I believe that is an open question as of today.
9: What's the possibility of the US and China go to war in the next 30 years?
10: It's very high in my opinion.
9: James Fernell, former intelligence chief of the US Pacific Fleet, challenges the conventional wisdom that the US military is unsurpassed by any force on this planet. While acknowledging that the Chinese military has strategic vulnerabilities, he warns that the US might go to war with China over Taiwan in the next 30 years, not adequately prepared and not confident to win. What needs to be done, and is the current administration addressing these challenges? My interview was for now at a critical time when America becomes increasingly wary about China's global ambition. So, you said um, by 2035, PLA is very likely to attack Taiwan if the reunification is not done by then. Tell me why you think so.
10: Yes, I think uh, the issue of uh, whether or not China will use force uh, is dependent on the success of their other strategies to use influence, economics, and diplomacy to pressurize uh, Taiwan into accepting a political Uh, deal where they would become part of mainland China in some form or fashion. So Starting this next year the Chinese military is going to be thinking that well now we have the capability to physically go out and invade Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Now some people doubt that they actually have that uh, but when you read what the Chinese say and even what Xi has said, they believe that they have that capability Mm. and that belief is only going to get stronger over the next 10 years.
9: Does the human experience side matter? I mean, US, the U.S. has been war forever. China has not fought for a long time. Does that, is that a factor?
10: I hear that argument quite a bit, which is mm-hmm. to say that China hasn't fought a war since 1979 when they fought Vietnam. Uh, now we know in 1988 they actually gunned down some Vietnamese sailors in the South China Sea. But in terms of fighting a war like the United States has, no, they have not.
0: The list of U.S. signatures, if you read them, are pretty much all the same people who sit on the board for the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Bill Gertz actually signed this letter. Frank Gaffney. Gordon Chang. It seems to have something like over a hundred signatures on here, so I'm not going to read them all. But yeah, very reminiscent of a PNAC letter. And not very many of the PNAC neocons in here, just some of them are. I mean, Woolsey, but... It seems to be a more of a fringe offshoot group from the rest of the sort of pnac neocon clique but they seem to have a lot of cachet within the trump administration a lot of influence so here's a couple clips from some of their think tank meetings and speeches good morning
6: my name is frank gaffney i'm the vice chairman of the committee on the present danger china and i'm delighted once again to serve as the master of ceremonies for this threat briefing of the committee on a very important, indeed highly topical, subject. And this group, which I'm very proud to be part of, is, I think, standing with Donald Trump in his efforts to define a different approach to China, to reverse the damage that has been done by decades of engagement with China on basically its terms. And we hope ultimately to have as salutary effect with respect to this totalitarian communist threat as uh, Ronald Reagan and his team did with the Soviet Union back in the day. What they represent in terms of this unrestricted warfare against us and this is, of course, adding very considerable uh, insult to the injury. Uh, in the course of that program, there was a remark made by one of our presenters. Uh, he'd spoken here as well, uh, namely Steve Bannon, whose uh, interest in this topic and help to it uh, really helped us get this off the ground. Um, Steve made an observation sort of channeling Abraham Lincoln that we're living in a global house divided, half free and half slave. And half slave, of course, is being enslaved by the Chinese Communist Party. And that means not only what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to its own people but what it has in mind for many others and is now in the process of translating into actual imperial rule over others and enslavement through this Belt and Road initiative about which we'll be hearing shortly. And Steve tied it into that particular audience by making the point that while the Chinese Communist Party is doing the enslaving, we are doing the enabling of the enslaving. And I think it was the consensus there, even interestingly enough among the audience, it seemed that this must stop.
4: And so I think that is what has to happen, is the American people, like they demanded change in the throwing out of the elites with Hillary Clinton and voted in a populist and economic nationalist like Donald Trump. I think the American people have to go to the next level and say, hey, we need to hear these stories. And the way you do it is you start following whoever the writers are, whatever websites, whatever broadcasts that start to put this up, people start watching it. Because we, we live in a capitalist society, and if, if enough people go. But I think this is going to be the defining issue of the 2020 campaign campaign And particularly because you're going to see a total phony like Joe Biden is going to get called
11: out on this. Can you speak more about the human rights violations in China today, such as uh, including the Falun Gong persecution? What do you think we can be doing about this over here? Look, you know, I'm a
4: Roman Catholic. So I've, I've gone to the Vatican and had a live broadcast from the Vatican, from a convent in Vatican City for an hour to the Chinese people to try to breach the firewall and VPNs to, to have a discussion about how the Catholic Church and the Pope, has signed a secret deal, they admit it, a secret deal with the Chinese Communist Party that throws the living saints of the underground Catholic Church under the bus. Cardinal Zen is one of the most religious people, one of the most admired men in all of Asia, has said this deal is terrible. So I think whether it is the Uyghurs, whether it's the the Dalai Lama in Tibet, and they just said uh, two weeks ago that the Chinese Communist Party said, hey, we have to approve the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama, whether it's the Uyghurs, whether it's the Tibetan Buddhists, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church, whether it's the Evangelicals of Falun Gong, wherever there are people that have spiritual aspirations, the Chinese Communist Party can't allow that to happen. So you're seeing overall the greatest suppression of religion across the board, whatever your faith is. You've seen the greatest from the concentration camps of the Uyghurs to the, to the, to the, to what they've done in Tibet.
0: But what the Chinese don't understand about us is that what matters the most is human freedom. Yeah. We will fight and die for human freedom. We will fight and die for our freedom. And so we have to make sure that they always understand that the United States is not all about money. We're about freedom. And... I think when President Trump is talking about building the American, rebuilding the American military, building a Space Force, and doing the kind of things economically to check their ambition, I think, I think they see a different kind of America than they've seen in the past 40 years. They see a seriousness that they haven't seen before that's about freedom. Everything President Trump has done is mostly about freedom.
6: Uh, Senator Ted Cruz is known to everyone in the room. Of course, um, we are extraordinarily pleased that he was able to take a few minutes from an unbelievably packed day. Senator, we're glad to have you. Please uh, come forth and uh, speak to us about whatever you'd like to speak about. I think we were told it was going to be um, academic and military espionage conducted by the Chinese Communist Party, but uh, we're pretty much happy to have you talk on any subject. Well, Frank,
2: thank, thank you very much. Thank you for your friendship and your leadership. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, uh, let me talk to you today about China. That's the focus of the discussion here. China is, in my view and the view of many, the greatest long-term geopolitical risk the United States faces. They are the greatest risk militarily. They are the greatest risk, risk economically. And they are the greatest risk in expanding their world influence and seeking to constrain our own. So how should we deal with that risk? Well, nobody thinks that we can sever ties with China. China is a massive trading partner. China is integrally involved in the economy, our economy, and the world economy. But China's interests are not our own. And I believe we need multiple tools to combat the geopolitical and geo-military threat that we faced.
0: Just reading you some of their video titles, Assessing Five Strategies for Defeating the CCP, Deterring a Chinese Attack on Hong Kong, Addressing Our Perilous Dependence on Chinese Manufactured Drugs. A rotating cast of their characters have gone on Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic show. These people are constantly referenced in the epic or Epoch Times, as I was calling it earlier. I guess it's actually pronounced Epic Times, that mysteriously funded website. So let me just give you a rundown again of who's on this think tank. Brian Kennedy, Frank Gaffney, Steve Bannon, William Bennett, Dan Blumenthal, Paul Berkowitz, William J. Boykin, Jose Cardenas, Robert Charles, Henry Cooper, Anders Kaur, Kenneth E. Groffny, James Fonnell, David P. Goldman, Mark Helprin. Claire Lopez, Rod D. Martin, Tidal McCoy, Robert McEwen, Thomas McHenry, John Mills, Stephen Musher, Chet Nagel, Peter Pry, Mark Schneider, Ed Timperlake, Michael Waller, Frank Wolf, James Woolsey, Jilani Yang. And what you'll find quite quickly is by reading the Committee on the Present Danger China's papers, by watching their video appearances, By checking out their membership roster and the media appearances that these people do on other media channels like Fox News, a lot of them even actually go on CNN and MSNBC, CNBC, what you'll find is that almost all the anti-China stuff you're hearing in the US media right now is coming from this think tank. And the stuff that isn't coming from this think tank, this think tank is also heavily pushing. That includes things about organ harvesting, Falun Gong. And what's really, really particularly fascinating to me, Committee on the Present Danger China, headed by Vice Chairman Frank Gaffney, one of the biggest Islamophobes ever, uh, talks about the Uyghur situation in China. So this is some of the most hilarious shit I've ever seen, because Frank Gaffney is by any measure one of the biggest Islamophobes, anti-Muslim neocons in the entire country. Here is his organization, talking about how they're concerned about the Uyghur Muslim plight in China. I mean, it can't get more cynical than that. What's happening in China, and what's now coming home, I think, to millions of Americans, notably
6: through this uh, NBA debacle, um, and of course some of your terrific reporting on uh, what's happening in concentration camps across China, notably to Uyghur Muslims, but others as well, is... The context in which um, we have to think about a, well, unbelievable phenomenon. And that is that American investors, um, many of them doing so through their pension funds or other institutional investments or through indexes, some of them as private individuals and individual Chinese companies, are enabling. The Chinese Communist Party to do some of its most horrific actions um, against, you know, communities inside their own country, uh, faith and otherwise, and and now
0: increasingly elsewhere around the world. Oh, and here's a clip from 10 years ago of Frank Gaffney saying that Uyghur Muslims are dangerous terrorists because they practice Sharia after Obama decided to release some of them from Guantanamo Bay. Imminent decision to release
6: into the American population maybe as many as seventeen Uyghur detainees out of Guantanamo Bay. First of all, the Uyghurs are people who, in this case at least, embrace Sharia. program we've talked about many times. Uh, I call it the Theopolitical Legal Program. You could add military and uh, and strategic and personal as well program that authoritative Islam obliges all of its adherents to seek to impose worldwide. Not just in China, uh, not just in Afghanistan or Iran or Saudi Arabia not just in the Muslim world but literally on a global basis and those who are not with that Sharia program have three choices one they can convert to it secondly they can submit to it
0: and thirdly they can die those are the three options so what other media outlets, you may ask, are pushing information from this seemingly fringe, but also highly influential anti-China think tank coming out of D.C. that includes several PNAC neocons? Well, I'll tell you, Cigar and Jetty from the Hudson Institute, from the Hill TV, is saying a lot of inflammatory things about China right now that seem like they're inspired by this group of people. He actually said on Twitter that Chinese virus is the new radical Islamic terrorism, meaning that people who refuse to call it Chinese virus are the same people who refuse to call 9-11 a radical Islamic terror attack. Now, he knows just as well as anybody else who's savvy in the D.C. circuit that utilizing term Chinese virus is a geopolitical leveraging tool, just like the neocons who wanted to call 9-11 a radical Islamic terrorist attack. This is not a racist or non-racist debate or about xenophobia, this goes much deeper and darker than that. And Cigar, I think, knows that on some level. Greg Gutfield on Fox News does as well. So it's not just Tucker Carlson on Fox News. It's trickled down, actually, to the whole patriot, nationalist, right-wing circuit. So like Rush Limbaugh, Jesse Waters, Uh, Jesse Waters brought on Steve Bannon to push anti-China conspiracy theories from the Committee on Present Danger China. Judge Janine going on these anti-China rants. Laura Ingram is pushing theories that the U.S. media, is, of course, besides Fox, is controlled by China. Sean Hannity has been pushing the same theories. Jack Posobiec of OANN News Network, which is like a cartoon fascist appendage of the Trump administration, heavily pushed the Hong Kong protests, heavily pushes Epic Times, and now claims that he, he is on a Chinese hit list for talking about the Hong Kong protests. Mike Cernovich of Cernovich Media, another surrogate cutout for the stupid assholes in the Trump administration, also pushed the Hong Kong protests, pushed Wuhan virus lab theories, and also got really upset at Twitter for the Chinese government being able to post U.S. bioweapons theories. Mike Cernovich wanted Twitter to shut down all the Chinese government social media accounts for spreading a global research article that was written in the United States alleging that the COVID-19 strain could be a U.S. bioweapon. Now, of course, it should be completely expected that outlets like the Daily Caller, the Federalist, Breitbart, Gateway Pundit, are all also absorbing a lot of things from this think tank and rebroadcasting them. Either laundered talking points or direct promotions of figures and taking quotes from people from this think tank. If you do a Google search for the Daily Caller and China right now, you'll find... Multiple stories written on a daily basis that are extremely anti-China, that have really ramped up since COVID-19. On The Federalist, same thing. Dozens of anti-China articles every week, heavily ramped up since the COVID-19 pandemic. Breitbart, surprisingly, actually has less anti-China stories than The Daily Caller and The Federalist do right now, which is actually a little bit surprising to me. Now, this also encompasses most of the MAGA media. So you have people like Dan Bodingo, you know, all these like weird right wing figures that are like MAGA people. They're all pushing anti-China rhetoric right now. A lot of them are also pushing the bioweapons theory right now. You know, people like Ben Shapiro are pushing out a lot of anti-China propaganda right now. But it's not just these more fringe MAGA people who are directly intertwined with this committee for the present danger China think tank. Some of the other people who are pushing anti-China stuff right now are, are basically the same entities and groups that were also pushing anti-Putin, anti-Russia, Cold War 2.0 stuff. And even some liberals and people on the left, who could be characterized as left, are pushing it too. So for example, just one example, here's Sam Harris on his podcast on the 17th of March saying that these filthy wet markets are basically akin to Chinese bioterror attack. Well, I'll tell you what, in the future, an appropriate demand,
11: which could well be spun as xenophobic, but shouldn't be, will be a demand on China to close down these wet markets because they actually are akin to bioterrorism. It's negligence that is so obscene that it is almost an act of war. I mean, they are spawning these viruses. Anyone who's playing with a bat in one hand and a duck in the other is just a fucking terrorist at this point, whether they know it or not. So we have to clamp down on that. And I got to assume the Chinese government will, for all their authoritarian charm, they will see the wisdom of doing that. And it almost doesn't matter how they do it, right? It's like whoever's insisting that they need to play with bats needs to be dealt with in China.
0: Okay, well, no, no argument
5: there. Okay. Um,
0: Here's an interesting figure, a guy named Matt Stoller, who presents himself as a leftist or a progressive, who tries to make this interesting argument that sounds an awful lot like a leftist version of Robert Kagan, using the back door of Wall Street to go after China, making it seem as if the, one of the most dangerous things that China is doing is its collaboration with Wall Street. He repeatedly calls the Chinese government fascist, Then he gets into how they're being very aggressive towards us militarily in the South China Sea. And then he says that China's ambitions are scarier than what the U.S.'s ambitions are. And the way to combat China is to go back to the liberal democracy ideals that we aspire to.
11: Just because we've done awful things doesn't mean that China isn't a much scarier, uh, doesn't have a much scarier aims. It also doesn't mean that the right's approach is to build a military response to china that is catastrophic let me tell china city and we needed to confront them we do because that is actually the most important we don't need to confront them militarily china is doing it too this is not the u.s fomenting a conflict this is an aggressive act by a fascist government and the left can't see it. it makes it makes it impossible for them to imagine uh, a country that is that is that is not controlled by white people, that is in, that has power and agency. There, there's no rule of law. Um, there's not even a nod to a rule of law. Like we subvert our rule of law all the time, but we have a we have a history and a um, of of adhering to certain legal norms, even if we've been violating them for 25 years. Which again. But but the Chinese so fusion is when you have concentrated private financial power taking over the state or fused with the state um, to promote totalitarian ends and that is what the Chinese <coughs> have done. Now the reason it's scary to me is because they are actively trying to export this model all over the world. Through they might have been fucking around with some stuff in some laboratories and it's a chance that it accidentally got out. But it but you know look. It probably didn't, and um, uh, but like I think you can. There's enough there that you can say that the, the CCP acted like recklessly and irresponsibly and dishonestly.
0: So after I heard this Matt Stoller interview with Michael Tracy, by the time I heard it, I had already seen a bunch of Matt's tweets that were, in my opinion, much more vitriolically anti-China than what he said on Michael Tracy's show, but I think he revealed sort of what could be a potentially a left or progressive framing to go after China that I think is very, very similar to the rhetoric that Committee on the Present Danger China is putting out. And in an exchange I had with Matt after I listened to this, after I basically accused him of repeating neocon talking points, Matt responded to me, I know a fair amount about China. My critique is about the nexus of corruption between Wall Street and the PRC. I can assure you that is not how neocons think about the world. To that, is that that's actually false. Completely false. The Committee on the Present Danger China does talk about the quote-unquote nexus of corruption between Wall Street and the PRC constantly. The main difference is that Matt uses the term fascist to describe the Chinese government. The Committee on the Present Danger uses the term communist. And their framing is definitely more in the socially conservative realm, while Matt's is more in the left realm. Both of them do lean on populism. And I think what needs to be spelled out here is that these neocons in the Committee for the Present Danger China, they're riding on more of a nationalism, more of a populism that in some ways does have some kind of appealing crossover with left populism. You know, these people are an offshoot from the Robert Kagan's, the Bill Crystals, and the Max Boots. They have merged with a Steve Bannon-style nationalist, anti-globalist framework, and that includes critique of Wall Street. But they mix it with an aggressive and hawkish U.S. push against China. For example, here's a paper by Frank Gaffney, from March 31st, 2020. It's called Year of the Rat Fink, an expose of a prime mover behind Wall Street's underwriting of the Chinese Communist Party. In the year since its launch, on March 26, 2019, the Committee on the Present Danger China has been relentlessly warning that U.S. capital markets have been enabling the myriad and growing threats posed by the CCP. One of the driving forces behind that investment strategy is Larry Fink, the founder and CEO of BlackRock Incorporated. His role is underwriting the CCP's malevolent companies and activities, and his support for the impending and reprehensible legitimation and significant expansion of such financing by the federal government's Thrift Savings Plan is the subject of an expose published yesterday by CPDC's Vice Chairman Frank Gaffney. Frank Gaffney goes on and on in this article about this guy named Larry Fink and how he thinks he's going to profit And help the CCP uh, during this crisis. And then he ends his article by saying, In addition to the enemy best described as the Chinese Communist Party virus, we must be increasingly concerned as well about the possibility that, in its wake, the party may think we are so disabled and or distracted that this is the time for its forces to invade Taiwan. Were that to happen, history will record Larry Fink and BlackRock as having played at least as big and as reprehensible a role as Henry Ford and General Motors did in enabling Hitler's malevolence. So again, Frank Gaffney is actually playing in the world of things that you actually hear about sometimes in the world of left empire critique. Populist stuff, talking about Henry Ford during World War II. It's fascinating. So the Wall Street thing, these neocons actually do talk about. It's just something that actually seems inspired by Steve Bannon, but Matt's not the only one doing this on the progressive side of the spectrum. There are a lot of other even quote-unquote leftists who are also spreading a lot of anti-China shit right now. Oz Cuturgy is doing a bunch of it. Danny Gold, CJ Wellerman. And then when you get a little bit more out into the sphere of the DC policy wonk circuit, these people who are not necessarily pro Trump, but they're still very much aggressive neocons who seemingly want some kind of confrontation with China. You'll see that people like Josh Rogan and Eli Lake, who I covered in my film, a very heavy agenda are also very much pushing this. They both write for Bloomberg. You see that Ari Fleischer Bush's former press secretary is very much pushing it also. You'll see that Stephen Hayes, who wrote a book blaming Iraq for the 9-11 attacks, is also pushing it. But you won't see like Bill Kristol. You won't see Michael McFaul. You won't see some of these like more neoliberal anti-Russian hawks pushing it. But there's even a little bit of a split there because some of the think tanks in which those people come from are now pushing it as well and are veering away from Russia and now focusing more on China. So, for example, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, this German Marshall Fund funded group that Bill Kristol, Michael Shertoff, Mike Morrell, all sit on the board of, is now tracking Chinese disinformation. I'll read you their press release. And they have this really cute logo. You know, they have this really cute logo of Putin throwing all the little social media icons into the air, like he's the disinformation fairy, you know, whoever designed this shit. Really clever. But here's an Alliance for Securing Democracy press release from March 20th, 2020, where Matt Schrader, China analyst for Securing Democracy says, as COVID-19 has spread around the world, the Chinese party's state international propaganda apparatus has swung into action. The Chinese Communist Party's CCP propaganda outlets are using declining numbers of COVID-19 sufferers inside China to portray its response as an example to countries struggling with growing caseloads and to hold itself out as a provider of global public goods at a time when the United States has ceded leadership. In doing so, the party is adeptly repackaging old, internally directed propaganda themes for an external audience demonstrating its ability to tailor the message based on the target audience. At the same time, it is also experimenting with new forms of disinformation that resemble those Russian uses. Solidarity is another important theme. One of the embassy's most popular tweets is a pair of drawings. The first thanks Italy for its support of China during the devastating Wenzhou earthquake of 2008. The second shows China supporting Italy in in its time of need. The text of the tweet reads, you may have forgotten, but we will remember forever. Now it's up to us to help you. Well, this is fascinating. So basically, it's really honing in on, so I'm just going to comment here. If you're not gathering it from this post, the Alliance for Securing Democracy tracks disinformation bots. And they've been using an anonymous group of about 500 so-called bots that they believe are spreading Russian disinformation for the Russian state. So obviously this group is already claiming to be tracking Chinese state media bots. But in this article, they're not actually going after bots or anonymous bot networks or trends. They're going directly after Chinese state-affiliated social media postings. What they seem most upset about, though, in those social media postings are postings about China doing good things for other countries and helping people. Because that's propaganda that just simply cannot stand, right? Because if China does that, or even if China ships a bunch of masks to Italy, that's just all for propaganda purposes. China wants to be seen as a hero. I mean, it's just it's just such a cynical lens to see all this stuff through. And I just wanted to read this very funny tweet um, by Ian Goodrum, who's actually been doing really great commentary right now about the China shit. He tweeted today, the U.S. media guide to outbreak response. When China locks down cities, it's an, quote, authoritarian overreaction. When lockdown succeeds, it, quote, should have happened sooner. When China makes millions of masks, it's, quote, hoarding. When it donates millions, it's a, quote, influence play. So this guy, of course, breaks down exactly, beat for beat, the propaganda model that Alliance for Securing Democracy is using. And I just have to comment again about how ridiculous it is that this Alliance for Securing Democracy entity is acting like they're just assessing and breaking down China's state propaganda, while what it's doing in and of itself is a form of propaganda, just as Ian Goodrum laid out in this tweet. So now you have one of these intersection points, even though, as I read to you earlier, Alliance for Securing Democracy admits that the US leadership role is failing, which is a, a you know an obvious knock on Trump. These are the neocons and sort of neoliberal think tanks in DC that don't like Trump. But yet, as you can see, they're intersecting with the Trump administration because they're just as outraged at the Chinese government pushing this stuff I'm about to read to you as the Trump administration is. The Alliance for Securing Democracy is especially pissed at this Spokesperson for the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Zhao Lijian, tweeted at an article from what Securing Democracy describes as quote a fringe conspiracy website Global Research that alleges that the coronavirus could have originated in the United States and not in China. Now, Securing Democracy tweeted yesterday that their new Hamilton 2.0 dashboard, which is the name of their algorithm, or software suite that tracks Russian disinformation bots. Hamilton 2.0 now tracks Chinese state-backed messaging. We've expanded our dashboard to track 150 plus Chinese diplomatic and media Twitter accounts, five state-sponsored new websites, CGTN America and CCTVs, plus YouTube and official Chinese mission to the UN statements. All right. Why doesn't somebody make a a dashboard tracking the propaganda of all these neocons and people trying to insidiously plant anti-China propaganda into our media sphere? That would be a very interesting endeavor. Because then maybe we can actually figure out where this shit's coming from. Maybe we can figure out where shit like the Epoch Times is getting its funding from. Or where that's coming from. Epoch, epic, however the fuck you pronounce it. Maybe we can figure out why there seem to be Dozens and dozens of channels on YouTube that have millions of subscribers and millions of views that are suspiciously uh, really well-produced for Western audiences and are extremely anti-China. Like China Uncensored, a YouTube channel that has 1.14 million subscribers. They ha- their channel collectively has over 200 million views. And this channel is especially interesting to me because it's run by a guy presents himself as an independent guy who's asking for Patreon donations, and it's like John Oliver-style desk comedy sketches, like basically ragging on China. But ragging on China using quote-unquote jokes that are using the same talking points from the committee on the present danger of (laughs) China. Then you have these other extremely suspicious channels called Zooming In With Simon Gao, It was a channel that was started in 2018, almost has 100,000 subscribers, and she constantly interviews people from the Committee on the Present Danger China, and it describes itself as a Chinese 60 Minutes on YouTube. You know, none of these think tank bot tracking networks are doing anything to look at these channels and try to figure out what they are. And what's strange to me is this is actually one of the most sophisticated, cutout, group of media outlets I've ever seen that are all pushing the same agenda at once on the internet. I've really never seen anything like this before. So I don't know if this is coming from the U.S. government entirely, the State Department, where the money is coming in from this, but it's th- this operation seems to be incredibly well-funded and it's coordinated. And these think tanks like the Committee for the Present Danger, ran by Steve Bannon and Frank Gaffney and James Woolsey, are laundering their information through the Trump administration and through various media outlets, and the Trump administration is laundering their own information through various media outlets. The Bill Gertz article in the Washington Times, where he talks to a anonymous State Department official pumping the Chinese bioweapons theory in it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because earlier, that was my smoking gun evidence that this was coming from inside the Trump administration. But there's been a lot more reported in the media since that this was a coordinated campaign by the Trump administration to disseminate these talking points. And imagine this situation in the same way you would imagine the Bush administration, their internal PNAC neocons who made up their administration, and also the external PNAC neocons who helped them run interference from the outside of the administration. So in this situation, you have the same dynamic happening as the Trump administration is disseminating their own talking points down the line, down the chain. The Committee on the Present Danger China is also disseminating their own talking points through the media, through the right-wing media, and also back and forth through the Trump administration. It's a symbiotic relationship. Now, this isn't just a game. This isn't just influencing the way people talk. This isn't just a What if scenario, what if this leads to some kind of Cold War situation with China, increases the xenophobia in this country? We already know that it is. It actually already is worldwide. 5G towers, uh, because of their association with China, have already been set on fire in England. Multiple 5G towers. Asian children and Asian people all across the United States have already experienced hate crimes and actual physical violence and assaults. Um, Two Asian children were stabbed in the face, coincidentally, or perhaps not, right after the outbreak of COVID and right after Trump started calling it a Chinese virus. But this isn't a game. And there's actually real legislation people are attempting to try to push through Congress right now to blame China for the COVID-19 global pandemic. And this legislation was spearheaded by Representative Jim Banks from Indiana and Seth Moulton, from Massachusetts. Now you may think these guys are super obscure, who the hell cares, whatever, right? But if you remember from a very heavy agenda, the people who originally pushed weapons supplemental to Ukraine bill were completely unknown Democrat hawks like Elliot Engel, Brad Sherman, these kinds of people. And they were at the tip of the spear for that. So these two guys are actually trying to push real legislation through and so I looked up uh, Representative Jim Banks, so I was just curious who he was, and guess what? He's actually appeared multiple times at the Committee on the Present Danger China at their little conferences. Here's a little clip from Jim Banks at the Committee on the Present Danger China.
7: Well, good morning, and thank you for the invitation to speak on this important topic with you today. As we've already talked about, our national security challenges with China are increasingly complex and demand our full attention. As a member of the House Armed Services Committee, I interpret the President's national security strategy and the national defense strategy as a call to action. Last year and this year, I introduced the Protect Our Universities Act to combat espionage targeting advanced defense-related technology research on college campuses. I also recently introduced a bill to prevent malicious technology companies linked to the Chinese government from hiring US, U.S. national security professionals to lobby on their behalf. China's persistent attempts to steal military blueprints and sensitive data must be addressed by Congress with eyes wide open. But today I'm here to focus on another initiative. In May, I introduced H.R. 2903, the Blocking Investment in Our Adversaries Act, with the intention of reversing a controversial decision by the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board in November of 2017.
0: Does that last thing he's talking about sound familiar to you? Well, it should because I just read you a Frank Gaffney story about 20 minutes earlier in this podcast titled Year of the Rat Fink. Um, that is talking about the exact same thing, incidentally, that Representative Jim Banks is talking about. I wonder where he got that from. But it gets worse, much worse, in terms of actual government officials going hard anti-China. From March 28, 2020, from the Wall Street Journal, an article called This Is War, President's Equipment Czar to Use Full Powers to Fight Coronavirus, uh, something slipped in the article. Trump adviser Peter Navarro accused Chinese officials who were visiting the White House in mid-January of possibly transmitting the disease. Now, the insinuation by Peter Navarro sounds almost like it was intentional. Like these Chinese officials may have even bio-attacked the White House, because Peter Navarro says, "quote They shook our hands. We broke bread." they smiled and left with nary a warning about the severity of the crisis. Well, in mid-January, guess what? There were already intelligence reports and people in the Trump administration who knew full well the severity of the crisis. So that's hilarious bullshit. As I said, it gets worse. On April 1st, 2020, a Bloomberg-exclusive report by Nick Wadhams and Jennifer Jacobs came out. China concealed extent of coronavirus outbreak, U.S. intelligence says. Can you already see where this is going to go? Because everything I've been telling you so far has been stuff that mostly has been circulating in the right media. Even though some, like as I've said, some leftists and some neoliberals are also taking the bait. But now, what what we're getting is intelligence officials want this to be known to the general public In the same way that intelligence officials were also wanting people to know that Trump was a Manchurian candidate. And I'm not saying these intelligence officials aren't with Trump, but it has a similar effect is it's going to be able to cross over to more mainstream media outlets now that this is somehow legit because intelligence officials say so. So this, I think, is an intentional play to get it to soak into more of the media sphere. Because CNN and MSNBC and other media outlets took the neocon bait, calling it a China virus at first, or the Wuhan virus at first, and then they backed off of it and used that to attack Trump for being racist. But now, if they can get intelligence reports to convince them that China is lying, at the very least, that it's concealing the outbreak and may be responsible for possibly killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions, around the world as a result. And that's a really big deal. So I'm just going to play you the Bloomberg TV report.
2: What do we know about this intelligence report that's been submitted that we know the White House has had for a few days now?
12: Yeah, that's right. I mean, this uh, U.S. intelligence community classified report to the White House uh, as reported by three officials who did not want to be identified telling Bloomberg News. And two of those officials saying the report concludes Uh, that the numbers that China has reported on the coronavirus, in in their estimation, are fake. Uh, Now, Mike Pence, the vice president, uh, he says the reality is that we could have all been better off if China had been more forthcoming. Now, yes, China did impose stricter lockdowns on Wuhan and Hubei province than other countries did in their jurisdictions, of course, but it it also changed its methodology for counting cases several times, and that raised a lot of uh, and considerable skepticism around the world and also in China. We've also seen these pictures have surfaced of uh, the number of urns piling up outside of various uh, funeral homes in China. So it lends uh, credence to those claims.
0: So these intelligence officials aren't trying to go behind Trump's back or around Trump. They're directly trying to deliver this message that the Chinese numbers are fake. Now, just two weeks ago, we were all talking about and focusing on the fact that America was completely underprepared for this and it was going to be a disaster here for this country. Things seem to be like more internally focused, and now all of a sudden the discussion is just shifting to China's numbers are fake, they put us all at risk by hiding this, and then they're still hiding it. A guy on Twitter named Harry Kazianis, his Twitter handle is Gratian Formula, said on April 1st, I spoke to two senior White House officials this a.m. Both made it clear that when coronavirus spike passes, the administration will take the gloves off on China, one explained. Trump is furious and wants action. So once it passes, so we're not even at the peak yet. Since the time I've started recording this podcast, there are now 7,000 deaths in the United States from COVID-19. They're saying that it's not going to peak until late May. So I guess that's when the gloves are going to be taken off, after the spike passes. Well, Trump changes his mind from one day to the next. So I don't even think just in terms of his focus that Trump will be furious enough and will want action by then. I think it's going to be driven by these other people inside of his administration who have been very dedicated to this concept. Fred Fleets is still in there. Elliot Abrams is still there, a Reagan-era neoconservative. So the intelligence leaks are getting even stronger now. Because on April 2nd, only a day after that Bloomberg exclusive report, the New York Times runs an exclusive, saying, the CIA hunts for authentic virus totals in China, dismissing government tallies. Intelligence officials have told the White House for weeks that China has vastly understated the spread of the coronavirus, and the damage the pandemic has done. The story is by Julian E. Barnes, and I'm just going to read a section of it. It says, The intelligence briefings in recent weeks, based at least in part on information from CIA assets in China, played an important role in President Trump's negotiation on Thursday of an apparent detente with President Xi Jinping of China. Since then, both countries have ratcheted back criticism of each other. Officials also said that China's underreporting of its pandemic totals were unsurprising, saying that official statistics from the country are often lies. So the article goes into a little bit how Trump has also toned down his own rhetoric, and there seems to be a detente between him and Xi Jinping right now happening, and just how basically Trump is just going back and forth on his rhetoric. Because the last thing Trump said about the numbers himself is, as to whether or not their numbers are accurate, he said, I'm not an accountant from China. And in the same press conference earlier, he said, the numbers seem to be a little bit on the light side, and i am be nice when I say that. <laughs> Representative Scott Perry, another guy who cavorts with the Committee for the Present Danger China, said on Twitter, The president has gone further than any president in modern time with the threat against us by China. I advocate for very robust actions by the United States. Committee on the Present Danger, China, also has Representative Jim Banks on their side, Representative Chris Stewart, Representative Alan West, and figures like Newt Gingrich also appear at their think tank events. But here's something really scary to me. Um... I guess at first I sort of wrote it off as the, ra- the rantings and ravings of someone who seemed like he might have been like a QAnon, Alex Jones, Chi-Com conspiracy guy, like military guy. I don't know why I thought that. His name is General Spalding, retired. He wrote an article for AmericanMilitaryNews.com on April 1st. It's called, China must be held accountable for the Wuhan coronavirus ravaging the world. I'm going to read to you some of this article. And a lot of this rhetoric is going to sound really familiar to you, but it's going to sound more extreme. The guy says, the general starts by saying, the first global war of the 21st century began in December without a shot fired. A Wuhan doctor in China noticed some patients admitted to the hospital were exhibiting viral pneumonia consistent with SARS. He goes on to talk about how they covered it up, blah, blah, blah. But then this is where it gets pretty bizarre, I think. He then says, the virus was now set, free to follow the way of war, detailed in the pages of Unrestricted Warfare. This book was written by two People's Liberation Army colonels as a strategy to defeat a militarily superior United States. The new way of war, trade, economic, propaganda, and media has now been unleashed to aid the Chinese Communist Party. To better understand this, forget everything known about how the world works. Instead, think of globalization and the internet turned into a weapon, and a no-holds-barred assault of competitive aggression unassociated with military might. And this is how China is waging war. Following the unrestricted warfare thought in CCP hands, globalization becomes weaponized. The CCP has spent decades utilizing globalization to slowly take control of the world's trading system, dominate key industries and markets, build a global media and internet presence, and deploy subjects and diplomats around the world. Therefore, when the time comes, these elements can easily be brought together for three intentional actions. Deflect blame, cause panic, and take advantage. Deflect blame, because the CCP controls Chinese language media everywhere with an iron grip, they can rile an army of victims to deflect their own culpability for the pandemic. Is just such gaslighting bullshit. Finally, flush with hoarded supplies, the CCP can feign being good Samaritans as they earn profits on price gouging the world on personal protective equipment. Ultimately, deflecting blame props up the CCP message about the superiority of their communist system. Oh, this sounds like uh, what Steve Bannon wanted to talk about board games. Take advantage. This is the true goal of weaponized globalization. The CCP wages a global game of go with a constant focus and intermittent opportunities for accelerated risk-taking for greater gains. The first bold move on the go board was during the 2008 financial crisis when the CCP stepped from the United States financial shadow. China was the beneficiary of much of the fiscal stimulus the U.S. created to get out of the crisis. The difference between the current CCP virus inspired crisis and 2008 is this time the CCP holds the advantage. They knew about the virus beforehand and could therefore take control the outflow of information and people. Basically, uh, this general, this Brigadier General, Robert Spalding III, retired U.S. Air Force, is alleging that China... Deliberately did like 9-11 style insider trading to either crash the stock market or to take advantage of it. Game, set, match. In the aftermath, we will endlessly debate whether the CCP virus was deliberately created and released or a freak of nature. The debate will be used to deflect attention that the CCP deliberately created the global pandemic. The United States also tends to project our democratic system onto the CCP and loses sight of the fact that controlling the vast authoritarian enterprise is a mixture of entrepreneurship and direct action without the humanitarian spirit. In other words, most are doing it for the money, while some are deliberately directed. Unrestricted warfare has documented it all. The paper was a perfectly designed guide for manipulating the post-Cold War world. Until one can see the world from the adversary's point of view, one will be ever at a disadvantage. But all is not yet lost. It's time to protect, encourage, and let loose the one antidote to the CCP pandemic, the enduring American spirit to throw off and be from tyranny. So if you want to know a little bit more about General Rob Spalding, it says here on American Military News, that he has served in senior positions of strategy and diplomacy within the defense and state departments for more than 26 years. Retiring as a brigadier general, he was the chief architect for the Trump administration's widely praised national security strategy. The chief architect for Trump's national security strategy. And he was a senior director for strategy to the president at the National Security Council. And when you type the name Robert Spaulding in YouTube, you basically get into the same weird portal of all these weird, seemingly cut out media organizations as I was telling you about before. China Uncensored, all these very sus looking websites that Robert Spaulding appears on. Robert Spaulding has also appeared multiple times at the Committee on the Present Danger China events, either through video conferencing or in person. You also, of course, have some of these never trumper neocons, you know, friends of Bill Crystal, like Gary Schmidt, Fred Kagan, these people. Uh, AEI, American Enterprise Institute, ran an op ed on March 16th that says coronavirus is China's chance to weaken the liberal order. The democratic world order survived the crash of 2008. It may not be so fortunate this time now, this is actually a multiple, a dual posted post. It was an op-ed written in Bloomberg by a resident scholar from AEI. I'm reading it off the AEI's website. So that's what kind of outlet Bloomberg is. Is It has all these American Enterprise Institute scholars writing op-eds for them while bankrolling Josh Rogan and Eli Lake. Now, that article title sounds very much like something Robert Kagan would write. That, of course, China is going to be the only one, you know, the only one we have to worry about that will take advantage of this crisis. Not nefarious, you know, U.S. people or other corporate entities, but just China, that China will try to weaken the liberal order during this. And that's what we need to worry about. American Enterprise Institute is also, of course, pushing the more recent propaganda spin that China's numbers must just be all wrong and that it's all lies. Otherwise, why does the U.S. have so many cases? There's so another way to obfuscate responsibility from the United States. But the headline on AEI says, Why do you believe China about COVID-19? From March 27, 2020, written by resident scholar Derek Scissors. Now, he, here's an even more neoliberal foreign policy think tank that Victorian Newland actually was the CEO of until very recently. But they're pushing the anti-China stuff pretty much just as hard. You know, it's not maybe as xenophobic and as cynical as the stuff being pushed by the Committee on the Present Danger China, but it's, it creeps in there for sure. On March 25th, 2020, CNAS, Center for a New American Security, wrote, As the coronavirus spreads, Americans have to flatten the misinformation curve, too. Anyone can be a carrier of harmful information. Because of this risk, members of the public must devote increased diligence to ensure that the information they share on social media and elsewhere is authentic and contextualized. This responsibility goes beyond merely improved digital literacy. So they're actually kind of asking you to help to basically be a soldier in the fight to fight disinformation, it says every American must therefore do their part to flatten the misinformation curve. All Americans must embrace an attitude of quote, digital citizenship, treating online communications with the same level of scrutiny as in-person interactions. Well, wow, that's absolutely fascinating. And as I told you earlier, this idea that the internet, you know, could be clamped down during this coronavirus pandemic, it's extremely likely, extremely likely. I'm actually surprised they haven't done more so far since it started. I mean, in the Operation Dark Winter pandemic drill from 2001, in it, they talk about having to shut down websites that are spreading misinformation about the smallpox outbreak. Now, I know so far I haven't discussed much the concept of this being a bioweapon, like for real. I haven't seriously examined that. Because that's not what this podcast was for. If you want to go off and read things about how this is either a U.S. bioweapon or it could be some kind of chimera that got escaped from a lab, that's that's fine with me. But what I'm trying to do here is lay out that this is a propaganda campaign and specifically this insidious propaganda that's being leaked out by people in the State Department, by these sketchy neocons, by people like Steve Bannon, Senator Tom Cotton, and now even Ted Cruz that this is a Chinese bioweapon is designed to exploit people's fears during a terrible, horrible situation. And it could lead to war. The committee on the present danger, China wants some kind of cold war with China. They openly say so that's their desire, but we know how that can go. I mean, we don't want, you know, we don't want to be in another cold war with China. Look at what the Cold War with Russia was like. There were several times where we had open warfare in proxy with Russia. A lot of people died. There's a lot of carnage and lives lost, a lot of money spent. Horrible, horrible things were done in the name of the Cold War. And I think it's really paramount and it's important to call out people right now who are pushing this anti-China rhetoric right now. Just like you would have called out anybody, you know, if you had Hindsight's 2020. If you could go back now right after 9-11 and call out the people who are spreading Islamophobia and innuendo about Iraq and Saddam Hussein and Afghanistan back right after 9-11, you would do it. You would do it. I would hope you would do it. You should have done it. So I implore to you now, don't wear kid gloves for people like Tucker Carlson because he went after Max Boot and John Bolton on his program. He could still dislike some neocons and also be really neocon on China in a dangerous way. Both things can be true. But just in general, I mean, we know that the U.S. government has a history of using bioweapons. We know that the U.S. government probably has and had some of the most sophisticated bioweapons programs in the world. We know that the only time a biological attack happened here in the United States. It actually came from a U.S. government bioweapons lab. And it's very sketchy. The FBI investigation of it cannot be trusted. And it's still a very suspicious event that the Bush-era neocons were super prescient about and somehow knew was coming. Richard Pearl, Don Kagan, you know James Woolsey, all these people you know, seemed to think that the next big thing was anthrax and then it came. And then they were worried that the next big thing after that was a global pandemic. But it took 20 years for that fantasy to come true. And I'm not saying that they did this or they were behind it. But they're in a better position to take advantage of this situation than a lot of other people are right now. Those types of people. The United States government used biological weapons in the Korean War. I think this is pretty well proven by now. Frank Olson the story behind him being assassinated by the CIA is because he was going to blow the whistle on the biological weapons program in the Korean war. We can't forget that deer Island off the coast of New York state. A lot of people believe that Lyme's disease was developed there and that ticks were used as carriers for a biological weapon. What the purpose of it was, whether it was just an experiment gone wrong that it accidentally got released. We don't know, but There's a lot of credible information coming out these days that it's no longer a crazy conspiracy theory to suggest Lyme's disease itself was a U.S. bioweapon and still exists in the world. The Spanish flu was xenophobically blamed on Spain, but originated in the U.S. We actually covered it up here because of wartime censorship, waited until it got to Spain to call it the Spanish flu. Does that sound a little bit familiar? That sounds kind of like what people are saying China did, where they covered it up and waited, and then they just mock other countries for getting hit so hard by it, you know, and then showing off by helping people so hard because they're just propagandists. You know, they're good donating all these masks because that's how evil they are and how much they want to show off. They're just giving people millions of medical supplies, those fucking propagandist fascists. H1N1 swine flu, which was a pretty bad pandemic. The United States government tried to blame it on Mexico. Mexican pig farms. But guess what? That shit came from the United States. Our clean, sanitary pig farms. You know, it's only in China where they do filthy things and have these wet markets. In the United States, you know, we, we do things beautifully over here. Everything's treated with such cleanliness. We don't have giant sprinklers that spray pig feces and urine into the air hundreds of feet in the air, where um, the entire area for you know tens of square miles reeks of pig shit and pig urine. We don't do things like that. That's not us. We don't pass ag-gag laws to ban and jail people for trying to film these pig urine sprinklers. We never do anything like that. We live in a free society, a democracy. The West Nile virus, remember that? That big scare before 9-11? Oh, you thought that started in Africa because it's called the West Nile virus, like the Nile River? Nope. Guess where that shit started? Upstate New York. Now, West Nile virus is another little fascinating disease because it just kind of came and went. And Rudy Giuliani and Jerome Hower got the credit for basically stopping that outbreak. Now, there's actual talk now by neocons especially from the Committee for the Present Danger, China, that are not only saying we should send weapons inspectors into China to figure out what the hell's going on, we're demanding that they close down these wet markets. You know, we're just going full bore. It's like, we're just going to throw everything out there, that it's a bioweapon, that it came from the wet market, you know, just as an excuse to put heat against China. It's very convenient. But one of the things that I've seen come up multiple times when I've watched this think tank do presentations and I've seen their people go all across the media is that why should we be in the biological weapons treaty convention? Fuck that shit. Let's get out of that. If China is going to violate it, then we don't owe anybody any obligation. Um, I just find that very amusing because that's very similar to the John Bolton sort of international criminal court thing. But in this case, it's building its case off a lot of innuendo. First of all, the United States government probably does conduct biological weapons research. I'm not going to be naive. I think it's probably pretty likely that so does the Chinese government. A lot of governments across the world probably do develop and do research on biological weapons. So I think on some level, a bunch of countries have been violating this agreement for a long time. So let's not fuck around here. To say that the U.S. has been following it this whole time and now we need to pull out of it officially. It's just a hilarious posturing. This stuff is just such cynical bullshit. It's so similar to all the stuff that we talked about on Media Roots Radio during the Cold War 2.0 podcast before I did a very heavy agenda. The only difference is it's a lot of these people have broken away from that main neocon clique to form their own more fringy clique. And it's not totally fringe either, because the Committee on the Present Danger had 33 members go into the Reagan administration. You know, we've talked about 17 PNAC members going into the Bush administration like it's a huge deal, but I had no idea until I worked on this podcast that this think tank was instrumental in filling several administrations with tons of hawks. And that they actually were responsible for lobbying intelligence agencies to change their policies. And right now, these people are intertwined with the Trump administration. And people like Steve Bannon are sort of playing dress up. He's playing make-believe. Steve Bannon knows that he's not a neocon. He knows that this shit's cynical. But yet, he's playing with such a dangerous game and trying to emulate these neocons on China so hard that he's basically doing things just as dangerously as they were, that can erupt and spark up and create a giant fucking out-of-control fire here. He, he understands exactly what he's doing. So we have to watch out for these people. And we also have to watch out for the Trump administration and the way the Trump administration is talking about this and what's going on in terms of China right now. You know, I barely got a chance to talk about Iran during this podcast. But right now, at the same time this is happening, the Trump administration is putting even tighter sanctions on Iran, literally killing people, causing a lot of deaths from these sanctions. All the people from these think tanks and these entities I've just described to you, pretty much across the board, are all encouraging harsher sanctions on Iran and are also encouraging the Trump administration to take a more aggressive posture with Iran. But I think more investigation needs to be done to figure out exactly where this is coming in from the Trump administration. Who's listening to it in the Trump administration? Where are they listening to it from, from the Committee on the Present Danger China? Who are they listening to? And then what's coming out of the Trump administration that's very dangerous in terms of this anti-China rhetoric? I mean sometimes Trump will just say totally off the wall things where you're you're just confused where he's even getting it from. Like I just told you earlier that China actually kicked out the New York Times, Washington Post and Wall Street Journal journalists that were reporting in the country. Trump actually accused three main American newspapers in a press conference, the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal of siding with China and against him during this crisis. Now, that's a very, you know, that's just a very out of left field, totally Trump-like thing to say. I mean, he thinks about things in such black and white terms that if you criticize Trump, which I'm sure some of these papers do about his COVID-19 handling, it's been absolutely horrendous. Trump is going to get possibly hundreds of thousands of people killed, then I could see why Trump would be dumb enough to think that that's siding with China. Or he just wants it to be that inflammatory and be like, you're siding with China and against me. None of these American media outlets are siding with China. They'll latch on to, like Tucker Carlson will latch on to things like American media positively co- covering China sending a bunch of masks to Italy as an example of how the, um, you know, the U.S. mainstream media is siding with China. That's such a little thing. And what, we can't give China any praise whatsoever for doing something like that? Oh, because I, oh yeah, that's right. It's just all propaganda plays by them. So we should condemn it all across the board. What a bunch of fucking bullshit. I don't care if Tucker Carlson's not literally a neocon. The fact that he's pushing such dangerous anti-China propaganda now is fucking disgusting. And it needs to be stopped. He needs to be called out. I'm just trying to give you ideas on how to try to stop some of this shit, because once this shit starts going, it could become like a freight train that's unstoppable, a moving train that has left the station. We don't want that to happen again like it happened with Russiagate, okay? It took a while for it to boil up and to turn into Russiagate. I made a very heavy agenda in 2015. It wasn't Russiagate until like 2017, so it took a while for it to get there. This will also take a while for it to build up. But right now, they're using a much more intense emotional climate than was even used for Russiagate. There wasn't some kind of catalyzing event like 9-11 during the Russiagate explosion. It was just Trump. It was the trauma of Trump getting elected, where they used that as a vehicle to push all their anti-Russian propaganda. This is much worse. They could exploit this situation in a much worse way. This is much more intense than 9-11. There's already been over the amount of deaths that happened on 9-11 in this country already from COVID-19 outbreak that started back in January. In two months, this has killed more people than 9-11 already. And you would have to be extremely, extremely naive to think that the neocons and these people who want war with China and who want this Asia pivot will not exploit this as hard as they can. So I just want to thank you guys for making it this far. To this two-part, pretty in-depth podcast about the anti-China, neoconservative push happening right now in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think this stuff is really important to be aware of right now, and we should be very careful out there. Watch closely for it. Not just the the people, you know, the, the Fox News viewers who are just out there screaming that it's a Chinese virus. I'm talking about the people who are feeding that info to these people, the, from the top down. Not even some of the reporters on Fox News. They're less important. Sean Hannity and Greg Gutfeld, aka Pig Vomit, are less important. The people who are most important are the think tankers, these anti-China people, these China experts who are feeding all this shit to the media and who've made a career out of it. And I had no idea. I mean, even just the fact that Steve Bannon says he spends 30% of his time hanging out with anti-China, you know, exiles, former, you know, uh, Chinese citizens who, who are now protesting the Chinese government from outside the country. That like I just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, this dude is taking this really seriously. They Maybe they've seen how the neocons like Crystal and Kagan and others were able to start a Cold War 2.0 with Russia so effectively, and they want to emulate the same thing with China. We don't know what their intentions are, but we know that these things never end well. So I'm not saying there's going to be a World War III with China. I'm not trying to fear you into that. But nothing's off the table. I mean, we could hit a Great Depression. I mean, we probably are going to. There's probably going to be at least... 500,000 deaths, I would say, in the United States. That's my personal prediction. I could be totally off. Could be even more than that. Trump is saying that 200,000 deaths would be a success. People are already predicting 30 to 40% unemployment by fall of 2020. Experts who have studied the Spanish flu, other epidemiologists, are also predicting that fall could have a resurgence of COVID-19 that could come back worse just like it did during the Spanish flu after it came back again in the fall and that more people could actually die in the fall. Terrifying. I just got a text message on my phone saying that the shelter-in-place orders for me here in the Bay Area go till May 1st. So don't let the fear get to you. Mental health is extremely important right now. And don't let the blame game thing get to you either. Fear can also create the need to want to point fingers the need to even just want to think about China being this barbaric country that has these wet markets and how could they do things in such an unsanitary way. Try to prevent that kind of thought loop. We don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, this shit is so chaotic and so crazy and so unprecedented. I don't care how many experts said that they knew that this would come from the wet market eventually. It was just waiting to happen. And... Back to the 30%, 30 to 40% unemployment thing, what happens when America's in a position like that? We might have to go to war again to assert ourselves globally and economically. It could create a chain reaction of really bad events. So I know some of this has been really tangential and all over the place, but I just want to thank you guys again for listening to Media Roots Radio. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, please consider donating to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Radio. And also, I've been doing a solo YouTube streaming show, MAME Politics, where I play a retro arcade game every episode while discussing all my opinions on things, all the issues of the day, breaking down subjects like this, talking conspiracies, so check that out. And I hope everybody's doing reasonably well out there considering how bizarre this whole situation is. But I think we just gotta write it out. What else can we do? Alright. For the remainder of this episode, I'll be playing a fairly long, unedited Steve Bannon speech at the Committee for the Present Danger, China, talking about how their mission against China will be how people remember them a hundred years from now.
6: We honestly wouldn't be here if it weren't for the inspiration and encouragement and leadership of one of our members. Um, he is a household name these days, I think it's fair to say. Uh, he has helped bring about the Trump presidency for a time. He was the uh, strategic guide for it and has remained, I believe, a very important influence on the president, um, members of his administration, and certainly on those of us who have followed his uh guidance, his counsel, his leadership in so many different capacities, including notably as the chairman of Breitbart um, before he joined the Trump campaign as its chief executive officer and then became the strategic advisor to President Trump in the White House. I'm talking about, of course, uh, Stephen Bannon, uh, a good friend and very, very cherished colleague. Please welcome him for closing comments about the global war we're in with China.
4: You know, President Xi goes to Davos and gives a speech on globalization. And he is is lauded as the savior of the globalization project. He he, he is, it's on The Economist, The Financial Times of London. that, That here is a man that speaks with wisdom. Here's a man that speaks with understanding. Here's a very sophisticated voice. And a couple of days later, President Trump, the media calls it the American Carnage speech, but really what it really was, he said, now comes the hour of action. Right? Now comes the hour of action. We will, I think the quote is, we will form new alliances and rejuvenate old ones and unite the civilized world to eradicate radical Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth, and then to pivot simultaneously in this great geopolitical struggle. What she and you got to remember, when he's at Davos and they're all sitting there, you know, all the McKinsey guys, all the Booz Allen guys, all the law firms, all the accounting firms, Goldman Sachs, my old firm, all the commercial banks, all of them, they've went to the best schools in the world. They work in the smartest place in the world. they got total information at their fingertips. You're telling me they don't know about the Uyghurs? They don't know about the underground Christian church? They don't know about the underground Catholic church? They don't know about the Dalai Lama. They don't know about the social credit score. They do not know about the enslavement of the Chinese people. Sure, they know. And they don't care. (coughs) The Committee on 100, you know, this this highfalutin group of the best of the best, you know, they have their, I think, black tie dinner on, on Saturday night. They put out a press release on Sunday. Right? This is some of the elites of the American financial and corporate community. And guess what the problem is? You know what the problem is? You're racist. Right? This is now about about racial profiling. Tell that to the Chinese people that are enslaved. Tell that to the freedom fighters here from China. Lian Chan Han, Sasha Gong, all the great patriots that have fought for their fellow man in China. This is a scam. You know, Alison uh, uh, Graham, he and Kissinger got this, you know, the Thucydides Trap. This is the new thing, right, Thucydides Trap. It's the same scam they ran back in the 70s, right? It's the reason the Committee on Present Danger existed. It's the reason Andy Marshall, when I sat down with Frank Gaffney and I talked to the great Andy Marshall, one of the, the architects of the victory that we had in the Cold War. Same scam. You know, Soviet Union's the rising power. We're the declining power. We got to, you know, I took the naval war college. colleges. First thing you do, t- Peloponnesian War. Got to understand it. Got to study Peloponnesian War because we're declining power. They're the rising power. Got to have salt. Got to have detente. Got to have rapprochement. Got to have it all. Right? Complete and total scam by the same guys. The same universities, the same elite, the same people that mock and ridicule Donald Trump every day and mock and ridicule the people in the red MAGA hats every day. The same people that brought us victory in the Cold War. What did Andy Marshall and Bill Casey say? I think there's something wrong here. I don't think the Soviet economies, I don't think they're that big. They did the analysis. This wasn't a 5% miss, it wasn't a 10% miss. The economy was half the size we had been projecting for decades. That's what the Reagan defense plan was. Frank knows this. It's economic war. We can never build a 600 ship Navy. I was a naval officer. I was a junior officer back as I came off sea duty in the South China Sea to be a a junior officer in the Pentagon for the chief naval operations. See the war plan. It was an economic plan to bury them. That's what Star Wars was. Right? You think he matches conventional we- weapons? We'll see you one. Right? And of course the CIA then projected it was going to take us 50 years to destroy him. It took us eight. Eight. Because a very simple man with simple convictions in California said, hey, these guys are smaller than California, just like the Russians today are smaller than New York State, but this City is obsessed with them, right? They don't look at the greatest existential threat we've ever had. You can't see that. Reagan saw it. What did he tell Dick Allen when Dick Allen, you know, the, when Dick Allen said, "Don't say geopolitical, don't be Brzezinski, don't be thing," just you know, he you know, he says you know, he says he says geopolitical, and shuts up and says, "Mr. President, what are your thoughts? How about this, Dick? We win, they lose." right? One side is going to win and one side is going to lose. President Xi, he does, this is not the Chinese people, the Chinese people are among the most noble people that have ever walked the earth. They've been oppressed and abused for millennia. And now under a new emperor, this radical, and it's a radical cadre of the CCP, with Xi and Wang Shan and all of them, out to suppress the Chinese people and to have a, as they say in the thought of Chairman Xi, which is now you know, the, the same level of Deng and Mao, the most, you know, uh, most important thinking international affairs in 300 years. Hmm. I think that's the Treaty of Westphalia. We believe, we're nationalists, and we believe in the nation-state, and we believe in the nation-state as on the shoulders of a free citizenry, that those nations will work it out. What the, the, the Xi's plan is very different, and this is why the party of Davos is, 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 is cheering him. It's a network effect. That's what One Belt, One Road, made in China 2025 and 5G, that, that's the surface. That's what they're doing. Look, the underlying thing is they've taken the three great geopolitical strategies of the 20th century. Mackenders, control the Eurasian landmass. number one. Mahan, control all the naval choke points like the, the British and the Americans, number two. And Speakman, control the rim of Asia and force your enemy off. No country, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Hitler, Charles, take all of them. Nobody's ever tried to do all three at one time. That's what the Chinese are doing. One Belt, One Road is just to connect the Eurasian landmass and sub-Saharan Africa and Latin America and the Caribbean. And I just came back from five weeks on the road. Japan, Michigan and Ohio for rallies. Brazil, we're having a meeting President Bolsonaro here. And then Italy. You know what the number one conversation topic at all those places is? China. People forget Bolsonaro, the third leg of his stool was at not just law and order and uh, traditional society. His third leg of the stool is, I don't mind China buying into Brazil. They're not going to buy Brazil. When I'm in Italy, it's just not the $30 billion of memorandums of understanding that they announce, right, with one side of the Italian government, or the $60 billion they announce in France. 5G turns data into plutonium that can be weaponized, and they intend to weaponize it. The most depressing thing about Speaker Gingrich's, who's one of the wisest men I know, was to say that we're pre the Kennan memo. If that's the case, we're in very bad shape. The purpose for the colleagues at the South China Morning Post, one of the great papers in the world, the, one of the single purposes besides doing research and papers We have to get out into this country and we have to get internationally. The quality of people in this room that can speak truth to the American people, speak truth to the people in the world. Remember, free people in the world don't want to be under the totalitarian regime of the radical cadre that runs the Chinese Communist Party. If you look at what the Chinese people can uh, can achieve, at the age of 21, when I pulled into Hong Kong, look at Hong Kong. When you have the rule of law, when you have freedom of speech and freedom of religion, there's nothing the Chinese people cannot, cannot accomplish. And when you look at what the Chinese have accomplished here in the United States of America, there's nothing the Chinese people cannot accomplish. President Trump needs your backing. We're engaged in this like we've never been engaged before, on every level. From sending battle groups into the South China Sea to contest, to contest it through the Straits of Formosa, tomorrow's the 40th anniversary of our alignment with taiwan the call of the president of whom we took when i was chief strategist this is the defining event of our time and 100 years from now this is what they're going to remember us for and what they what i will guarantee you we're going to identify those members of the elite that cont- that sold us out and continue to sell out the American people and sell out the Chinese people. I'm honored to be part of this and honored to speak to you today. Thank you.